giving in to darkness can only lead to heartbreak. You're listening to Once, episode 285, Ill-Boding Patterns. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And I'm Heather Ordover. And we're ready to discuss this episode, Ill-Boding Patterns. Now, that name will make total sense (laughs) in just a moment. I mean, other than... Promises, promises. Yeah, the, the pattern of, oh, someone's turning to the dark side because they're about to murder someone or they did murder someone. Yeah, that's an ill-boding pattern, but there, there's another <laughs> aspect of it. We'll get to that in just a moment. If you want to share this episode out, get the show notes, screenshots, anything that we mention, it's in the show notes on our website at oncepodcast.com slash 285. And we'd love it if you would share this episode out with your friends, family. It's the best way you can support the podcast. Let's start our discussion in the past, the first Ogre's War. Now, just to clarify some things, because some of the feedback I received, there was a little bit of confusion on this. This is the same war that Rumpel was drafted into and then cowardly uh, ran away from. This war has been going on for many years, and that's why back in season one in the episode Desperate Souls, they said that they lowered the draft age and they were going to start drafting kids in this war. So that's my one initial problem with this first scene that we see is where are all of the kids? True. Well, kids don't make the best soldiers. Yeah, but Look they what were... happened to that poor little guy. He wasn't even a kid. <laughs> they were drafting them, though, and this happens maybe only a few days after the episode Desperate Souls, when right. Rumpel became the Dark One. Maybe they're still training them. But, yeah, aside from that, which I hadn't quite gotten to in my own mind, this episode had kind of a strong start. They mm-hmm. dared to name a time period, specifically. Yeah, It took a minute to figure out, but... It did make sense with the timeline. It was an event that had been in some way referenced before. And you had Beowulf inspiring people, albeit to die. (laughs) There was the confusing moment with the sword following a really great battle scene. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but for, for TV and for Once Upon a Time, it was a fairly engaging ogre battle it's kind it's a little piece of what you always imagine you you always hear about the ogre's war and we've seen like one ogre Mm -hmm. and it was fought while wearing a pink cardigan sweater (laughs) that was so this was cool this was you know it felt like part of the show and some the kind of thing that it would be wonderful to see a lot in the show alas (laughs) well that sword this blade it's called hunting. It was enchanted with... Now, Jeremy, say it with me. Hunting. I don't want to. Hunting. H-R-U-N-T-I-N-G. The first time I saw that, I thought, oh, that's a typo. That's its name? Yes. Hunting. 
Yeah. <laughs> Heather, you take a try. <laughs> oh, oh, heck no. <laughs> Nobody wants to touch I, this sword. <laughs> I had well, enough trouble teaching Beowulf. Nuh-uh. <laughs> it's no wonder someone, no one wants to touch the sword because... Like magic to ensure that whoever carries it into battle will be hailed a hero. Now, this sword does actually tie in with the Beowulf uh, legend. That sounds like weak sauce magic. It doesn't mean you will be a hero or you will be successful. It just means people will believe you're a hero. That's a good point. And there is actually some controversy over the sword. Now, the Beowulf poem is an ancient uh, English poem, or not English, but um, ancient poem. And uh, in it, this sword was given to Beowulf by Unferth or Umferth. And uh, it was the sword that supposedly failed no one, but it did fail Unferth as he tried to kill Grindel and Grindel's mother, <laughs> and also it failed Beowulf as well. So there's some scholarly debate over this, and uh, some question, well, was the sword destined to fail, and that's why it was given to Beowulf, so he would fail? Uh, like it was a, a ill-boating um, pattern? Uh, or hmm. maybe was it not used properly? Or maybe it failed because the that sword... That was tech support yeah. when they called about the sword later. <laughs> Problem between keyboard and chair. Uh, maybe it was ineffective because this sword was made by man and Grindel and Grindel's mother could only be killed by a sword made by giants. And that's the way it went in uh, some of the, uh, the Beowulf stories. Now... The poem that describes the sword, or the portion, uh, let me read this to you from Beowulf. Oh, good. And another item lent by Unferth at that moment of need was of no small importance. The Brehon, whatever that is, handed him a hilted weapon, a rare and ancient sword named Hunting. (laughs) (laughs) Spoken just like that. The iron blade with its ill-boding patterns. Oh. Has been tempered in blood. It had never failed the hand of anyone who hefted it in battle, anyone who had fought and faced the worst in the gap of danger. This was not the first time it had been called to perform heroic feats. That is an exact quote from the poem Beowulf. Huh. (laughs) Well, that's cool. You were right, Daniel. It actually is Old English, but that means it sounds like German half the time or Scandinavian ness. That's yes. why you get your Hrothgar and <laughs> and all the rest of them. Hrunting. <laughs> it's just going to get more gravelly as time goes on through this episode. This is, what is that that thing that they they talk about women doing all the time? Where uh, vocal fry? The vocal fry. Yeah, like everybody you gets know. to fry. Uh-huh. Don't do that. It's the Kardashian thing, Ew. you know. But here to combat vocal fry is the blue fairy because she's the one who created the sword. We learned that later in the episode. That's cool. And she is, remember back in season one, we learned that she was called Rulgorm. So why wouldn't Rulgorm make a sword called Haranting? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And she was called the original power. So she made this sword that has, is enchanted with light magic from the blue fairy. And the sword was maybe made around this time in order to help defeat the ogres. So was she practicing like it's pretty undefined, this blade? 
I okay. When the ogre exploded, I for a moment thought, I guess that's what it means. He totally <laughs> dropped the sword, and it was like, I got this. <laughs> that would have been some powerful magic, but no, it was just Rumple doing what he does, blowing up living things, <laughs> hurting fairy godmothers. He's such a meanie. So, Heather, now knowing the history of where the episode title came from, what do you think of it as it fits with this episode? I think you did better research than I did. So, kudos to you. I'm also, I'm going to keep looking, though, because I'm curious to see if I can touch base with a, a Middle English scholar and find out if that translation is solid. It's a weird translation, It sounds weird. Now, while we're still talking about the sword, in our initial reactions, I mentioned something about how did this sword even come into Emma's possession? And several of our fans responded, pointing out that it was in the episode 609, Changelings, when Emma was still having the savior shakes, that she went into Gold's (laughs) shop after he had had some kind of little tantrum, and the sword (laughs) was there. Yeah. And that's what caused some more of the savior shakes. And... That's where she had it. So from the end of this episode, we see that Rumpel has the sword and then he keeps it for all of these uh, years. And then it's in his shop when Emma finds it later. So that's where the sword came from. Oh, and I'm totally taking back my uh, disgust with the title because that (laughs) translation is from Seamus Haney. So I'm just going to shut up and say, wow, genius. You are just (laughs) Seamus. I was, oh I was my totally shamed. I'm so sorry yep. to all the Seamuses out there. Uh, <laughs> all right. We, I interrupted you, Jeremy. <laughs> we, we got a couple of hints at what the sword might do in that it was sort of connected to a stronger vision for Emma with more information when she touched it, when she got near it. She seemed to look at it funny when she was in the wish realm. As if she had realized something when Pinocchio spoke about having a conversation with one's tools. The biggest thing we saw it do, of course, was hurt Evil Queen without hurting Regina to do it. Oh, yes. That's right. I forgot about that. So it is kind of an important thing. So we have and we have seen that it is special in some way. But what else it can do or what the nature of it is, is... I'm sure for the writers, deliciously ambiguous. <laughs> Which I'd rather they not state it too certainly if they haven't decided precisely what they want to do with it later. Because that's yeah. the corner they paint themselves into story arc after story arc. They define things very, maybe broadly, but a little too specifically. And then as time comes to wrap up the story, they kind of go, well, it actually means this. Mm-hmm. So that's okay. <laughs> and they're going to take that sword to strange and mysterious places. <laughs> and we're going to be asking ourselves, what's in the sword? <laughs> there are going to be a lot of references to season one in this podcast. Yeah. Not a bad thing. Now, this whole thing that happened here on sword. the battlefield, we had heard referenced before. The first time it was ever mentioned was back in the episode 119, The Return, when Moraine, that's Balefire's friend or girlfriend, girl who is a friend when she said that she was there and she saw Rumpelstiltskin save 
the everyone and defeat the ogres. And I, I looked oh. everywhere, and I I feel like there's some other episode where Neil was talking and maybe even said it to Rumple, and said something about uh, that day when you stepped on the battlefield and saved all those people. I remember that. Now I can't remember. I would have said it was young Balefire who said it because he was talking about other kids not wanting to associate with him because they saw him do it and they were scared of him. That could be too. I could be misremembering that. It, it's very no, hard to true. find something so precise like that because there aren't just transcripts of every single episode searchable. But uh, nonetheless, the point is this has been referenced several times before and the way this happened with the great CGI that we saw mm-hmm. with the, the ogre just exploding, basically incinerating. I think that totally cool and really Can we have a fitting. gif of that? <laughs> <laughs> sure, you could put it on anything you don't like and pretend it's exploding. Cuz A, it's a good um a good effect. And B, I think that it could come to symbolize what this episode later did. <laughs> It burned so hot, it exploded from within and destroyed everything. And so it could just become a symbol of the effect of this ill-boding pattern. I destroyed all of them. (laughs) If it weren't dark magic, it'd be kind of awesome. (laughs) And speaking of awesome, the other thing to share is you might have caught it, but in case something sounded a little bit familiar to you in this battle scene... Yes, it was the Wilhelm scream. Yay! That wasn't it. (laughs) That happened just as I pressed the play button. I thought, what just happened? Who hacked the website and replaced the sound clip? What'd you do with my Wilhelm scream? This is the Wilhelm scream. (laughs) So now that you know the sound of it, you will recognize that everywhere. It's been in, th- so far, more than 350 movies and television episodes. And it's actually a really old sound effect. What if there's an app for it? There probably is. Uh, it was be. recorded in the 1950s. And it's named after um, a character in a Western movie from 1953, uh, Private Wilhelm, who was shot and fell and he made that scream and so it's been known as the Wilhelm scream and there if you just search on YouTube for Wilhelm scream you'll find all kinds of videos and compilations that show you all of the Wilhelm screams and it's been in once upon a time I think a couple other times other than this but I thought I'd point it out to you because why not because why not moving on <laughs> to Rumpelstiltskin the hero of the battle <laughs> uh I would love to go back and watch, and I may do this, the early recountings of the early days of Dark One Rumpelstiltskin. Basically, just Desperate Souls, <laughs> as I recall. There were others, but this, but that, I think everything we think of, or half of what we think of, comes from that episode. So I think I should go back and rewatch it. But I'm trying to f- remember, I never got the feeling that he was this close to himself early on and what i mean by that is the power corrupted him very quickly Mm -hmm. he came back to the village and started squishing people like he was gone and Mm -hmm. bay was always really uncomfortable with it and kind of scared of him and or at least scared of the power 
because he just wasn't the same. I mean, anybody remember? We're going to need a new maid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, he he wasn't himself anymore. Yeah. He was totally lost in it. So I, this whole, I'm going to try not to use magic for you. Like, I don't, I don't know if I quite can make that fit. But certainly not my biggest problem. <laughs> I think that being this early on in his dark oneness, he did know that this is dangerous stuff he's messing with. Because you look at the episode 119, mm-hmm. The Return, mm-hmm. when we get to see uh, everything that went down that separated Balefire from Rumple. In there, Bay did say to Moraine that basically uh, Rumple was willing to change and willing to try and be rid of the darkness. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't figure out a way other than going to a land without magic with the help of Rulgorm, the original power. Right, right. <laughs> I feel like you are stressing this title of hers. <laughs> well, it's, it's worth stressing because I'm going to bring it up later. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that is in keeping with why he, what he seemed to think he could do. He thought he could become the Dark One, take the power, protect his son... And the war he might have had on his mind. Wow. That's super creepy. I'm just reminding us of a previous season. Oh, I think, yeah, I was going to say, I think you sound like the dagger possibly or something. But uh, he didn't sound like he had many plans beyond just the immediate when he did it. It was a pretty, still, even to this day, it still seems kind of uncowardly to Mm. do such a dangerous thing. But hey, maybe it was calling to him. When... Beowulf says, uh, points out that how could a coward defeat an army? I'm thinking, does no one realize he's the Dark One? Right. Do they not see the reptilian skin? Oh my gosh, that was driving me nuts. Yeah, especially if if they know who he is, unless they, did they change villages? No, not yet. They hadn't changed villages, so they're looking at the formerly crippled Rumpelstiltskin who had normal man skin. And now he's all shimmery and scaly and his eyes are weird and he doesn't and walk with a cane. that's just fine. Yeah. And how did, but how did Beowulf know about what he did? I didn't think anybody knew what he did. Right. Crippling himself. Well, no, I think a lot of people did. You look back at the episode Desperate Souls. Oh. It's amazing how much we're referencing these couple episodes from season mm-hmm. one. I like that about this episode, that it's so tied to a couple previous episodes. But later on, you'll see in not so good ways. Uh, but uh, in that episode, remember the the Duke was taunting Rumpel and saying, what'd they call you? Hobblefoot? Uh, this is, uh, and all of these other insults because it had gotten around that here was this man that broke his own leg because mm-hmm. he was a coward and didn't want to go to battle. Now, the right. reason why he did that is because he heard from the seer mm-hmm. That on the day that he saw and the battle that he saw, he would die. No, I'm sorry, Ron, Ron Seer. Uh, he did hear from the Seer that his actions on the battlefield would forever separate or would separate him from his son, which they ultimately did because that's what led to everything else. Self fulfilling prophecy. Now, this is a different actor playing Balefire. And I think it's very understandable because the original actor, Dylan Schmid, is now. Six years older than he was. And this is supposed to be happening a few days later than when we first saw Balefire. Here's, I get the necessity, but here's my issue with it. My impression was you replaced 
an actor who had aged with an actor who's almost the same age as the original actor is now. Bay was not that tall. And his voice was not that deep. Yeah. His voice was kind of cracky. Like, he was, he was young. But Dylan Schmid doesn't look as much like Balefire anymore. Because he is a young man, almost. Or is. I'm not saying they should have cast him, but perhaps somebody younger. Yeah. Although, but then again, they had him turn all murderous. So it's sort of, that would be even more disturbing if they had shown his true age at the time and done what they did. I think it would have been even more of an issue. But that's part of the point. But the kid they got, Brandon Spink, uh, I think does fit the part pretty well when looking at pictures of Bay from Desperate Souls. Yes, there is a little bit of an age difference, but he mm-hmm. still kind of has a young-looking face. Like, not not baby face sort of thing, but right. like not quite teenager-looking th- face. I think it would have worked for a later Bay flashback. Yeah. I don't know that he worked super well for that time but uh you know i'm not it was not it's not his fault (laughs) they did what they could i guess and uh one of (laughs) our uh, listeners aaron also thought that brandon spink played bay really well although brandon also would have rather have seen dylan dylan made a better bay in aaron's opinion heather what'd you think about beowulf this one bugged me a lot It's tricky. It's a tricky line to walk with a character like Beowulf, because when you go back to to Old English poetry, they weren't really into characterization or deep and meaningful dialogue, so you didn't have a whole lot to go on. But he's proud. He's boastful. He also knows he's going to die. So it's only a matter of time until something he fights gets him. Hmm. Everybody else gets got. So it's not like he's a superhero. But I guess somehow that transposed itself into my mind as not a jerk. And this Beowulf just drove... I started yelling at the screen. <laughs> I was so angry because there's also a really um, a really beautiful kind of melancholy that surrounds Beowulf. And I think it's one of the reasons why it still gets taught, aside from the fact that it's a complete story. And that melancholy did not come across with him... But I thought it came across with Rumpel. Hmm. And that's, I mean, that's an interesting conflation. And I wish someone had played with it more. I I ascribe that entirely to Robert Carlyle having read Beowulf at some point, Hmm. my guess. Um, But it was, it was sad. It felt like one of those opportunities that they had to pull a character in. And I don't know what it's, what they did with Arthur and Lancelot. Yeah, was kind of fun when it was Arthur and Lancelot, and this feels like, oh wow, didn't we, didn't we already mess with stuff? Yeah, like this, it it felt repetitious to me and kind of sad. Yeah, I mean, you've got a medievalish, legendary, mm-hmm. not the same time period or place, but you've got a legendary hero warrior with apparently a special sword, right? Right. Who turns out. To not just not be a hero or, you know, he's not gray like they like to do. They keep taking heroes and being like, no, actually, they murder and they lie. They're yeah. not heroes at all. They're actually villains. But And you're right. Gray would be a lot more interesting. Yeah, like they've done – They everybody on the show has had their issues and that's fine. That makes them a little more human, at least in some people's minds. But 
why do we have to keep destroying? They only had parts of one episode with this one character and his his sort of inspirational speech to a soldier in the beginning was kind of cool. Couldn't they have just left him? Like, ugh. He doesn't need to be murdering villagers to mm-hmm. accomplish his goal. He's right to be concerned about the Dark One. Sure. But, I mean, he could probably close his eyes just a little bit and... <laughs> that that's just more of a a bugged out eyes critique but um you know he, he was I, he was like you said he's a jerk and as the episode yeah. went on it he just got worse and worse and worse to the point there yes. finally you're going okay he's arthur all over again just compacted into one little episode and why do we need to do this ill boating pattern <laughs> <laughs> well that that was before daniel enlightened me that was the ill boating pattern that i thought <laughs> That they may have been referring to that the 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 it's not a fallen hero. It's the the name that the character is wearing, whether it's Gideon or Arthur or Beowulf in the Once Upon a Time universe. That's not who you who you think you're seeing is not who you're seeing. And they don't get to be that that person. Everybody else seems to have access at some point to a redemption arc, but not the famous heroes. <laughs> right. It'd be no, okay no, if events weren't quite what history remembered and they were just mm. like, well, the battle actually didn't go the way people are singing about, but what can I do about it? Like, th- that's okay. But yeah, I- mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm a little tired of the character assassinations. DeAndre said, can we once just have the valiant hero stay the valiant hero for once? (laughs) For once! Yes. (laughs) It's true. It's true. And it would be much more interesting, I think, to have if you had Rumpel in this situation go up against a true Beowulf. Because that that would bring out some really interesting moral questions, I think. Because it's Beowulf kills, he kills plenty of people. It's his job, and Rumpel's wrestling with all in a in a surreptitious. I'm going to get them to turn on the one who they need to turn on, who can kill mm-hmm. them all. By the way, and mm-hmm. by the way, I'm going to get some glory out of it. Yeah, not like that. He doesn't need to do that in the original. He just goes out with his scored. <laughs> <laughs> and uses it properly. With hunting. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally going to be my terror. <laughs> I'm just going to put that on a sound loop on my computer for days when I'm sad. I'm going to just play you saying that. It'll be your alarm clock for waking up in the morning. <laughs> 6 a.m. rolls around. Hunting, hunting, hunting. My my husband is going to be really, really worried about me. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Bay is getting his face rubbed in mud, and I noticed that Rumple is still spinning, but he's not spinning gold yet. But he's spinning. Yeah, he's not just playing with yarn next to a wheel. That was huge. The knitting spinning community is going to be so much happier because I know they have been peppering the cast with, do you people not know how to use a spinning wheel? And of course they don't because who really? But this this one, he he came a lot closer 
to looking like he was actually spinning. Ah, nice. Mm. And it tells me <laughs> that <laughs> even though he is the dark one, he doesn't realize all of his power yet. Uh, even though he is dressing very nicely, uh, I don't know where mm-hmm. he shops. Oh, it's the clothes horse. That's right. Why? But um, <laughs> he, <laughs> and that was the clothes horse right there. <laughs> you guys are my soundboard tonight. <laughs> but it's interesting to see him still kind of trying to live normal life. Like he's hanging mm-hmm. out at the bar with the, his buddies from war and he looks genuinely happy that they're cheering him on and, you know, to Rumpelstiltskin. And then he goes back to his little hovel and he starts spinning like he normally does because that's yeah. his job and that's what he knows. And it's, it's kind of funny to see here's the dark one, this person that has... All of this incredible power, probably the most powerful person on the planet or in the realm. And he's still working in his little hovel, spinning to try and make ends meet. Yeah, it couldn't have lasted more than a week, though, based on everything else we've ever seen. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it did feel like it had to be so close to the beginning. Which maybe they were trying to say by having him change to more extravagant clothing so quickly. When they get to the river's edge because the village has asked them to go save us, be our hero. I thought that this connects nicely uh, what Bay says in this scene with what Bay was also talking about in 119, The Return. That's when Bay said to Moraine something about my father's willing to change, basically. Or uh, he's willing to go alone if I can just find a way to help fix this. And here we kind of get that impression in this conversation that they have at the river that Rumpel is willing to put aside the magic, struggling with it, but willing. Well, perhaps. I suppose I was more caught up in the technical details because, as I tend to always say, writing just to fill space, just writing what's convenient doesn't work for me. Yeah. So, no. so here, Rumpel reveals that he brought the dagger with him. And Bay's all shocked, like, why did you bring that? What, what does that have to do with anything, is my question. Based on six years of history of this character, he hides the dagger wherever he wants. He carries it when he wants. His power's there without the dagger. True. It does not matter whether he brought it or not. It was simply convenient that he brought the dagger so that it could be stolen by Beowulf and so that it could be in the hands of Bay so that they could do what they did. But that's but they but they they shrouded in all this controversy of why he would or would not bring the dagger. That would never be what it's about. He his struggle to not use his power has nothing to do with whether it's with him or not. It could be that he's so new to it that he doesn't realize he doesn't have his magic without the magic dagger. He retrieved the dagger from a hiding place in a castle. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. One. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So he was kind of familiar with the fact that someone could use the magic without holding the dagger. He but... simply was more familiar with his own power than the person who was writing the script. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> and remember, the pen is mightier than the sword, especially when the pen writes the stories about the sword. Did, do you think Henry, did Henry do this? 
Maybe Henry. Oh my gosh! Oh. <laughs> At the in the season finale, we're gonna find out that all this stuff that that has made us upset. Henry sitting in his room messing with the past. <laughs> and he's going to pay dearly for that magic. Crackpot theory of the week. Aside from the fact that blood is red, and and therefore, if you're wearing red on a battlefield, perhaps you won't look as bloody when you die. <laughs> why would you go hunting anyone or anything wearing red? I'm missing something because I, the costumers have not been stupid on the show. True. Do you think Rumple should have worn brown? <laughs> well, there are some very good arguments for that, I think. <laughs> but it just, it, it really surprised me. All of a sudden to say, what? Wait. And then, and then when Bay um, said, we'll go back to the hovel and kept talking and I went, who calls their home hobble? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I mean, there's there's being, you know, modest about where you live and stuff and not saying it's a McMansion, but really. <laughs> yeah. I, I asked in hobble. the chat on Sunday night while it was airing, do peasants refer to their own homes as hobbles? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I found that to be kind of a surprise. But what do I know? I didn't live back then. Right. Certainly not a novel. <laughs> I can I can hope I wouldn't have been relegated to a hovel. Who knows? I thought it was cool that when they're in Grindel's cave and this whole thing about Grindel, that is from the Beowulf story. Mm-hmm. Yep. But as we learn, inside the cave there is no Grindel. There never was. That so bugged me. it's completely I can't say fiction on it. A storybook-based TV series, but <laughs> it can. didn't exist. To them, it's fictional. Now, is Grendel a name or like a species? It was the name. Because they are they keep calling it the Grendel. Oh. I thought I misheard it when I... I'm going to have to go back and listen. That's a very strange thing to make a mistake on. Because you have Grendel and Grendel's mother. So Grendel's mother wouldn't be a Grendel. Matthew Paul is pointing out in the chat room that Grendel was on Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Ooh. I thought it sounded kind of familiar to this. I was thinking it was Harry Potter or something that we saw in a Harry Potter <laughs> movie. Um, but, you know, no, I'm not good with the Harry Potter names. I knew Grendel was a Beowulf character, but everything I know about Beowulf I learned from Star Trek Voyager. So I wasn't positive. <laughs> I was pretty sure it was legit, but I wasn't really sure what the true nature of it was because its uh, form was a little different on Star Trek. Mm. <laughs> and speaking of different form, the scene that I think the first scene that really ruins the episode as far as the retcon and the the character development and such when they're outside of the cave mm-hmm. and uh-huh. and Bay then takes control of the dagger. What do you think about that? Just so not in his nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it felt like that. I can't figure out a way to write myself out of this corner, so I'll do something that, or I'll have a character do something that doesn't make any sense. 
It's like they wanted to add extra incentive to Rumpel's actions in the present, mm-hmm. which I don't think he was lacking any motivation that we could understand. He, you know, he lost one son, as he said. He didn't mean like this when he said it. He just, he lost one son. He wasn't going to lose another. He has all the personal experience of going dark that he needs to want to stop Gideon from doing the same. He doesn't need to have witnessed Balefire doing the same thing. But there are so many issues in both just reality and the mechanics of the show and the darkening of hearts. And it basically, we have the same problem in all of this, well, and and the scene that follows, as we had with the idea that Hook was just normal Hook until he remembered that he was a dark one. Yeah. And then he snapped. If it's, if it's a part of his nature, a forgetting potion's not going to change that. He's a dark one. And so with this, first of all, it's something in Balefire's nature that he would even do this. Well, let's get a little philosophical on this. Okay. Uh, if... Okay, so we're talking about the nature of people and kind of what they are predisposed to do or Mm -hmm. react in certain situations. Okay, so maybe let's assume Bay had a little bit of darkness in him. I mean, we can assume that about everyone. Well, that would be a little bit more true with human nature. Yeah. But so so there's this (laughs) tiny little bit. So here is a circumstance that then pours fuel on that makes it flare up, and then he turns to the dark side. If you take away the memory of that thing that fueled it, then it's kind of resetting that darkness to its unfueled state. Mm. I mean, I I know that, like, even just today, um, (laughs) if someone today in the real world (laughs) committed a murder or some other horrible crime... You're going to tell us what fueled your darkness (laughs) earlier. (laughs) No, I I will tell a very personal story a little bit later uh, about some darkness. But um, if if today someone committed a murder Mm -hmm. uh, because of some rage or some bitterness that they hold... Yes. And then something happened that their memories were lost completely and they, their memory state, they reverted back to before even getting that rage. Mm -hmm. Can you trust that person to not commit murder? Again, you mean trust that they won't go to the bad place again? Right. I think that might have some slight straw man elements. No offense. Certainly. Uh, Because not everyone will react the same way in the exact same circumstances. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with nature. It, it, it's difficult to, to talk about from that standpoint. With Bay, we have a child who understandably, I, on the rewatch, I did feel like, okay, you could almost argue that holding the dagger, he might just react. Although I think a, a slyer way to have played it maybe not for their purposes, might have been to have him just say, stop him. Remember how Regina kept ordering Emma around accidentally because she was holding the yeah. dagger? <laughs> yeah. It could, it could have been something like that, but he, he very clearly knew what he was doing. He ordered Rumpel to, to stop him. He didn't necessarily even say kill him, but he, he wielded the power, but he was so against it later. 
It doesn't fully make sense. Mm -hmm. And if we can run these two scenes together a little bit and talk about the situation as a whole, yeah. mm -hmm. the idea, of course, of the memory potion, I, I see what you're saying. And I've tried to think of it from that standpoint that maybe they're saying removing the entire incident from his memory would keep him from going to that place. Except for two things, one of them real and one of them purely once upon a time world. The real part is that if he would turn to it that easily, mm -hmm. removing the memory of that one day, that was so early on. He lived with Rumpel for I'm not sure how long mm -hmm. and watched him do all sorts of things. They were put in some bad situations. He would have done it again if it was that much a part of his nature. He wouldn't have been so desperate to get away from it that he would go to a land without magic. He would actually be, I mean, that indicates that he might be a little more okay with that darkness than the Balefire we know. That's how I feel about it anyway. But then the Once Upon a Time Realm side of it to me is that they've shown a darkened heart to be a physical thing, an actual dark manifestation in the person's heart for whatever reason. They've That's how they've chosen to set it up. And removing the memory of the action doesn't change the fact that his heart in their world is darker now. That's an True. excellent point. So it doesn't work either way you look at it from my standpoint. I mean, I suppose you could flash forward and say, and there's Thief Neil on the streets of New York. But, <laughs> but I don't know. I like the way that Jody Geis, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, says it. Rumpelstiltskin tried to do right by his son out of true love for him, and knowing himself gave Bay the only thing that could keep him from using the power. Could we argue that Bay should have fought harder against taking the dagger? Of course. But really, it came down to Rumpel trusted Bay, and Bay trusted himself. The lesson here is the old adage, power tends to corrupt, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. Balefire didn't take the power selfishly. It was given to him freely, yet it corrupted him just the same as if he had taken it to use it. This doesn't retcon Bay into any less of a hero. It only shows that it doesn't matter if you have the best of intentions. Ultimate dark power will corrupt you just the same. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's never been a strong indication that merely holding the dagger puts any kind of call on the person. Belle has had possession of it, for example, and she's fine. But True. it could be simply the mental concept of having access to the power in a difficult situation. I don't know. I I don't know. Remind me what the process is of how how the Dark One status gets transferred, because the the dagger is involved and You kill the Dark One with the dagger and you become the oh, next right. Dark One. Right. That's right. Which we've seen happen... Several times. Yeah. The Sort of. <laughs> well, Emma became the Dark One because the darkness was swirling around. It was untethered. Yeah, it was untethered. And she uh, had the dagger, I think. And it she chose Regina. Yeah. And she, Emma, took it on herself. And I can't remember now. I believe it was with the dagger. <laughs> right. And then, or with Excalibur. Um, and then Emma made the Hook the Dark One mm -hmm. as an effort to save him from dying. Right. 
but it wasn't it, she didn't have to have him stab her with the dagger so the only time we've actually seen the stabbing thing transfer the dark one power is in the episode 108 desperate souls when it was uh zoso that got the the pointy end of the dagger yeah i was waiting for you to work the word path in there somewhere well yeah he should have chosen a different path <laughs> Yep. DeAndre points out that this whole thing with Balefire also contradicts a really interesting season one detail. So great job, DeAndre, pointing this out. They said, the fact that Balefire controlled Rumpelstiltskin to kill Beowulf completely taints Balefire's character of someone who would have never controlled his father. In episode 119, The Return, Rumpel gave August, masquerading as Balefire, remember that? When uh, yes. Rumpel wow. said, oh, the dagger's buried out in the woods. I hid it as soon as uh, Emma came into town. Wow, I forgot about all that. Yeah, wow. so that's what I'm saying. DeAndre, excellent well job uh, finding this. So DeAndre said, Rumpel gave August, masquerading as Balefire, the dagger, and August tries to control him. Rumpel makes a point that Balefire would never control him. Mm. And someone who never wanted his papa to give in to the darkness. And he completely made a 180. This was out of character for Balefire, and I understand why they chose to go this route, but they could have executed the story in a way that made sense and kept Balefire as we've known and seen him in previous episodes and seasons. Well, you know why. You know what they need to do? Hashtag hire the nerd. Yeah. 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 Because I forgot. I had forgotten that. It would be one thing if Neil ever had said, I would never do that. And and Rumpel's sitting there thinking... You just forgot. But Rumpel's the one who, without any forethought, just sort of insisted that it would never happen. That is very a very good point. That's not an accurate test if Rumpel's the only one who knows that that actually did happen, that exact scenario. Unless Rumpel drank his own forgetting potion, which we've seen him do before. <laughs> Remember in the whole time travel episode, he drank forgetting potion at the end of the episode. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. that was, so that why was didn't great, he actually. just drink his own medicine? Literally. I, I know. And maybe he did. And maybe that's why you could say retroactive continuity works because in episode 119, he didn't remember that he did all of that because he drank the forgetting potion. Yeah. But yeah, and speaking of character, (laughs) even going this far and disrupting character and continuity with this with the scene, the next step, the next scene, instead of Bay being like, ah, the Baker's son isn't going to mess with me anymore. He could have been pretty just he could have been agonizing over what he'd done in his rage Mm -hmm. that and then. That would at least be somewhat slightly more in keeping with his character. It would have maybe explained the moment and it would have made it seem more that Rumpel was saving him from that torment by giving him the forgetting potion rather than trying to reverse a darkened heart, which that's not a thing you can do like that. Yeah. It's kind of like Rumpel is saying, I'm going to be the villain our town needs. Not the villain our town deserves. <laughs> if a forgetting potion would work, couldn't Regina have done it? Couldn't they have given one to Cora? Except that Cora wasn't keeping her heart on her at the time. Huh. <laughs> Just 
Get all the villains together, force feed them forgetting potions, and they will be wonderful, lovely, contributing men members of society. And their hearts will not be darkened anymore. That's all it takes? Mm-hmm. A vial of magic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. I think <laughs> if you look at this episode as a standalone, like try not to fit it into the canon of everything else. Or anything else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In fact. Um, I think Rumpel's actions here do kind of seem honorable because he he is absorbing the the darkness himself to protect his son. That's, you know, that's kind of honorable. You're speaking of Balefire right now. Yes. I'm not talking about Gideon <laughs> okay. later on okay. because we don't know what's up with that. And we're not talking about that just well, yet. Well, I suppose when you put it that way, that's the other parallel they're trying to draw. Yeah. Except that, hmm, yeah, the different issues there. But yeah, yeah, he's taking the blame. But I think that for both of these characters to truly be in character, it would literally have been Rumpelstiltskin who did it. <laughs> and Balefire would have been like, no, 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 stop murdering. You have to stop running away and trying to kill people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From our longtime listener, first time emailer, Jody Geis. They said, honestly, I do not see ill-boating patterns as retconning Bay at all. This is about Rumpel and the corrupting power of the Dark One, who, let us not forget, is a separate entity from Rumpelstiltskin. Rumpel was trying to do the right thing by not using magic as hard as that was for him, and in doing so, handed Bay the dagger. The whole point is that Balefire did not want his papa to use dark magic, even for, quote, good, unquote. He wanted to show Rumpel that they could work together to defeat Grindel slash Beowulf the right way. Rumpel was heartbroken that his own actions, also regardless of intention, led to Balefire's corruption and immediately acted to ameliorate the effects on his child. He would rather Bay despise him than allow him to fall into the trap of dark power. And, jumping forward a little bit here... The same with Gideon. Rumpel knows better than anyone that even though he wants this power to defeat the Dark Fairy and stop her from harming innocents, just like Rumpel in the first Ogre's War, it will lead to Gideon's corruption and the damaging of his soul. Say what you will about Rumpelstiltskin, he is a good father, he loves his children and takes responsibility for their well-being, and would rather himself be hurt, despised, and corrupted than see them changed. I think it's a really interesting perspective. I think it's probably the truest interpretation of what they were trying to do. Yeah. But especially that last line, I that was really well done, Jody. Other than the dagger calling two dark ones, it's never proven to be an influencing force on anyone before. And that's where I think it calls into question Balefire's character. To put the scene in. Mm. Yeah. But you know whose character we do not call into question? It is the character of our wonderful heroes who are <laughs> valiant heroes. And they stay valiant heroes for once. They won't be proven to be lying murderers. <laughs> no. They didn't have to kill anyone to get there. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. And so literally for once, like 
for us, we're once. Right. For once, they are heroes. So special <laughs> thanks to our heroes for this episode. Lisa Slack and our 23 heroes on Patreon. We could not do this podcast without you. We really appreciate the support. We're providing value, or we hope we're providing value. Maybe it's merely entertainment to your life by making this podcast available to you. Talking about the TV show, theorizing, trying to incorporate your feedback, and much more. And we hope you get value from this. So if you do, would you consider giving some value back? That could be as little as a dollar per month. If that's all the value you feel that we give you in your life, that's okay. If you feel that we give you more value than that, then consider giving more. Your options are over at oncepodcast.com slash hero. It's a great way to support the podcast. We'd really appreciate your support so that we can keep hosting the podcast because it does cost. It costs quite a bit to run the podcast And so we're grateful for any kind of support that you can give us your options for supporting us and being an amazing, valiant hero. And we will never question your character. Those (laughs) options are over at oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Moving on to discuss the present. Uh, It starts out with Hook's appointment with the bottle. (laughs) I love that. Uh, You mean mean (laughs) Hook's classic... Blame shifting? <laughs> I was like, wow, his problem may be more serious than I thought. He's blaming uh, Archie for not having an appointment. <laughs> you know how crickets are. <laughs> They're always there when there's awkwardness. He's like, sorry, I was in the woods playing my violin. <laughs> there is this cool dynamic, though, between Archie and Hook, and I like how Meredith of Everett, Washington, points it out. She said, I do like this pairing of Archie and Hook. Yeah. We don't get mm-hmm. to see nearly enough with Dr. Hopper. Poor Jiminy Cricket has to have therapy sessions with most of the people who have traumatized him. <laughs> Rumpel was his patient back in season one. Of course, he didn't remember his past with Rumpel at the time, but Rumpel is the one who changed Jiminy's life to such a degree that he ended up a cricket. Regina hasn't been an easy patient, and Cora posing as her while almost killing Archie (laughs) couldn't be relaxing. And you recall where Archie met Hook for the first time in season two? On the Jolly Roger, when Hook was trying to torture him for information about Rumpel. (laughs) You remember, Hook said he'd always wanted to dissect a cricket. I wish they'd have an episode that takes place solely in Archie's office, where he has sessions with all of the main cast of characters, you could call the episode A Bug's Life. <laughs> uh, I want to know who he talks to about the trauma of this. <laughs> Thank you, Meredith, for that great feedback. <laughs> now, diehard James Bond fans Sorry, know what exactly what I'm about to mention, okay. maybe. And if not, so. then you're maybe not as diehard of a fan. Now, I'm not a diehard James Bond fan, but <laughs> I saw something on the screen. I just thought, <laughs> I want to. I. I, was, I was surprised <laughs> if you were. <laughs> although saying diehard James Bond fan, diehard just sounds like it goes along with James Bond, although diehard is a different series altogether. True. All true things. <laughs> However, the reason why I bring up James Bond mm-hmm. is the rum that Hook was drinking. Normally, when people what? drink alcohol, they're drinking McCutcheon whiskey. <laughs> McCutcheon? <laughs> <laughs> That's an Oz. Hook is instead drinking river rum from Oracabesa, Jamaica. <laughs> and so where's the connection here with James Bond? Yes, please. Oracabesa is home to the Golden Eye Luxury Hotel. 
the no. Ian Fleming International Airport, and the James Bond Beach. And huh. uh, this place, Arakabesa, uh, is a celebrity favorite. They've been going there for decades and loving this place, and it's it's very picturesque and everything. So all of this kind of James Bond little hint, maybe, is right there on the bottle with the name Arakabesa. Am I reading too much into this? Maybe. But I think <laughs> we have heard somewhere before Kitsis and Horowitz say they were also James Bond fans. So we're going to have fictional James Bond, <laughs> and he's going to turn out to be the master villain? Well, oh, Hook is kind of like a James Bond character uh, in, in a way. I mean, like the the debonair sort of sense and the that is stretched so British thin, accent. my friend. You may have just opened a portal to another realm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right retconning my future as I. Make that. <laughs> I'm my just future. trying to. I'm just trying to figure out who got the product placement. How'd they pull that? Oh my gosh! I, I doubt it even exists. I. I now, I didn't do that kind of really? research to see if this um, is an actual product. I'm going to go look right now. Most of the time when a product appears on the screen, it's uh, a fake product. Like if there's some kind of visible label. It's, we've seen it with nearly all of the book covers uh, that they are fictional book covers. Uh, even for books that seem like they already exist, uh, they, they design their own cover that doesn't exist anywhere else. Right. Except for those couple other specific circumstances Her handsome hero yeah <laughs> and uh, uh there was some book in season one i forget which one it was but that aside i like this crisis that hook is in crisis is basically a decision point it doesn't mean it's a bad thing and archie yeah. is right that hook is in this crisis that he's struggling with this means he's a changed man it would jeremy, seem i am broken <laughs> <laughs> jeremy what do you think of this? Because I think of the history of co-hosts we've had on one's podcast, you've yes. been the most negative on Hook because of his you know, horrible things that he's done. But now to see him so changed, what do you think? I think, thank you for demonstrating the actual change and systematically yeah. bringing up all of our objections, even if some of the time it was just sort of awkward, like they actually have addressed what he did to Bell. He apologized for that. You know, He's they've gone through and actually had him do the work of changing rather than just he stopped trying to kill people and steal from them. And he's not making quite so many double entendres. Yeah. Like he's just a better person now. And he regrets things from his past instead of justifying them. And... He wants to do the right thing. I did like this scene so much. The episode started out so strong. It just yes. kind of it kind of fell like a giant ogre yes. and picked up speed as it went <laughs> until it hit the ground with a rumble. But yeah, these the like the scene from the past and this scene were probably my favorite scenes from the whole episode with the possible exception I'll th I'll go ahead and throw the proposal in there, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh yes, I I do appreciate it quite a bit because and i'm just realizing this to some degree maybe david didn't even feel it but i think a lot of us did maybe hook's not good enough for emma they're having to work to make him good enough for emma in hmm. at least some of our eyes yeah hmm. but he's so cute <laughs> <laughs> 
to so many <laughs> others. <laughs> yes. So, can one of you explain the meaning behind Hook saying, I've since learned something about my past? Because I know what he's referring to. We, we saw the pages. We got that backstory. Had he forgotten all of that until he got the pages? Well, he knew what he did, but I think that he just lumped it in with the rest of his past. In aggregate form, he didn't know who it was. Right. Uh, now he realizes that man he killed that time. Right. Which, to his credit, he didn't forget his face somehow. Mm. But right. uh, he now realizes, oh, totally her grandpa. Got it. Yeah, that would throw me if I were Hook. Yeah. Yep. Yep, yep. And especially after everything that happened in the last episode with David and yeah. seeing how <laughs> much David was willing to kill the guy who yeah. killed David's father. Awkward. And now Hook realizes, yikes, I'm yeah. the man. <laughs> yeah, this little I, I need to David duck. moment. Pirate. <laughs> I mean, like Psalmist David moment. Oh. <laughs> While they're looking for Gideon in the woods, did you catch that Rumple actually threatened the Blue Fairy here? Yes. What was up with that? He's still such a jerk. (laughs) 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 He has redeeming qualities, but he has not really changed. Well, he's hated the fairies ever since they were basically the reason that Bay was stolen from well not stolen from him but separated from him because it was the blue fairy who gave balefire the magic bean and balefire used the magic bean to get roundabout to our world the land without magic yeah though now they seem to indicate that he hated fairies before that because of his mother right yeah so that too is uh, in conflict with all of that and that makes a bit more sense too because she turned her back on him, abandoned him completely, and she doesn't regret it at all. And so, in this case, Blue is the one that Gideon was stolen from. Yeah. So there's that too. So when you jump forward to the end of the episode where you see then Rumple is the one to take away all of Blue's magic, I kind of get the impression, because he threatened Blue Fairy here in this scene, I kind of get the impression that he probably enjoyed that later on. I don't know. I maybe part of him did. Despite his back and forthness, I still think that his explanation to Bell at the end was supposed to be taken at face value. I don't think you know he was commanded not to try to stop Gideon. So the only way to not stop, try to stop him, but to still stop him, was to do it himself. Yeah. And I think he honestly is trying not to let anyone get hurt. Well, he did He did make promises to Belle again in the he, beginning. He's always making promises to Belle, it seems. And, unfortunately, nearly always breaking them. Yeah. Hmm. Keeps the show going. And speaking of breaking, Gideon breaks into the sheriff's office. What's up with that? How did he learn what the technology was, much less... I mean, I get that he's... Very strong. He can control pretty much anything. But it looked so easy. Not even quizzical. Hasn't he been in a completely other realm? <laughs> dungeon? Yeah, but True. we don't know what it's like. Oh, ooh, it could be a high-tech dungeon. It could. 
They might have the dark internet in the Black Fairies realm. (laughs) Deep web. (laughs) That's true. I hadn't thought of that. Maybe the Black Fairy runs it like a giant corporation in a (laughs) big city. But it's a huge skyscraper and you can never leave. Ooh. Ooh. That's very Dante and Brazil all at the same time. I like it. Go with that. (laughs) Meanwhile, Robin is on his thinking log in the woods and playing with magic. (laughs) And I'm going to give up the idea that this Robin is someone other than Wish Robin. Because, I I, I mean, it's convoluted and way out there as an idea as that was. Here, he says, not another step. Just like he said in the Wish Realm when we first saw him there. He said, not another step, ladies. This is a robbery. So what, you think he just has a very shallow programming base? Yeah. (laughs) And uh, that the personalities are lining up with what we've seen in the Wish Realm and what we see here. I'm completely disregarding this idea that this Wish Robin is anyone other than Wish Robin. Yeah, I think they are too. Maybe he's Jafar. Oh my gosh. Maybe he's Alina. Kidding, kidding, kidding. I'm kidding. I just want to see Jafar again. I want him to be someone somewhere out there beneath the pale moonlight. Whoa. Nope. Well, yeah. But see, the problem is that makes him not make sense. Why? They already posed all the questions and gave us all the justification. For the idea that he somehow is the real Robin, why didn't he age? Well, why could he cross over? Yeah, because there's some part of him, like a feather sized part of him, that we don't know the nature of the Olympian crystal, the true nature oh, of it. Let's forget that thing. Yeah, but um, <laughs> everything about this Robin is the opposite. Of the other Robin, except for the fact that he's called Robin, he shoots arrows, and he's a thief of sorts. Everything else is different. I know. Didn't have a wife, didn't have a son. He likes magic. We learn later in this episode, he said his partner was good Mm -hmm. with magic. Uh, And here we see him trying to play with this box of magical things that he stole from Regina's vault. Uh, Whereas the other Robin except for that one time that he stole magic to try to and successfully save Miriam. Uh, He's spoken before of having bad encounters with magic and not trusting magic and not liking magic in any way. This Robin is very much the opposite, which kind of harkens back to the premise of once upon a time where the cursed characters were almost total opposites from their original selves. People who were brave were cowards and, People who were good became bad. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing with him. He's just kind of plotting about doing bad things now, and I'm not sure why he's there. I don't think any of them are. Maybe to give Regina a reason to try to take down the protection spell. It's They're they're veering again. They were focusing on their own characters, which has been great. But now... We've been applauding them for not bringing in new characters to put all the focus on. But now they've got copies of existing characters, <laughs> which are, technically speaking, new characters. Yeah. In the town, wreaking havoc. Yeah, that's true. 
in addition to Gideon, just because he's so closely related to main characters doesn't mean he's not new. And I don't, I don't object to Gideon's character. I think that's a great storyline. I'm actually creeped out when I think about the Black Fairy and we only saw her once and the little flashes they've given us of his childhood. I'm like, are we going to see this realm? I wouldn't even mind if they went to another realm, if we're going to see that place. Like I'm interested in this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And when's the next time the clock tower is going to be broken? (laughs) (laughs) Well, see my, my thought on that is that, Regina has just enchanted it with a repairing spell. What we didn't see was Gideon giving it a sideways look as it came back together after he shattered it. Well, the the funny thing is, I I don't think I mentioned this in our last full discussion, but the last episode of Once Upon a Time, the previous one, was the episode that came after when Gideon broke the clock tower. In that episode, there was actually a shot from the street where you could see the clock tower and it was repaired. Yeah. And here they're in the clock tower, the next scene we're discussing, and it's it's there repaired. So I guess this is just the thing that, yeah, it's like a, a nightly reset. Like if you go into the computer <laughs> stores and you play on the computers and install all kinds of programs or subscribe to all kinds of podcasts and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, some people do that at computer like stores. Like I never do. <laughs> uh, they reset those computers every night. So don't think that your changes are going to stick. But uh, it seems the clock tower is that way. Regardless of what happens with the clock tower and the campaign to save the clock tower, what happens in here? Um, interesting stuff. Like Rumple referred to the sword as a useless relic. But we know the sword isn't useless. Jeremy was good at pointing out that this is the sword that can harm the evil queen. Yeah. He's he's definitely lying to Gideon yeah. as little as possible, but he's doing it. And I say as little as possible because he did tell him right away, yeah, there's a memory potion in that. <laughs> I didn't tell you before you drank it. I called it tea, but, you know. Timing. Yeah. And it didn't work on Gideon, though. And I know why. I'm no one to be trifled with. I spent the last few years building up an immunity to Iocane powder. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> That's the Princess Bride, in case you didn't recognize it. Go see it. That's your assignment, America. Good times. Yes. <laughs> so you think he's been drinking memory potion and little doses to build up a tolerance just in case. I don't know. <laughs> but probably. I mean, that's why I wanted to find that clip from The Princess Bride is because that's what it made me think of. Who builds up immunity to a forgetting portion? <laughs> thing. Yeah. Because, <laughs> unless there's a lot of things you really don't want to remember. And so I'll test it tonight. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lousy date. Let's have some of that memory potion. <laughs> The doctor in Doctor Who was once poisoned. He noticed and he got rid of it. He found a way mm, if, to uh, metabolize. Yeah, that's a that's a thing. If you've even even without knowing Doctor Who, you should maybe go see if you can dig up that scene. Which which series uh, Doctor David Tennant? You... <gasps> <sighs> okay, I'll go find it. It was the Agatha Christie episode. Oh. <laughs> I just okay. I always thought, I wish I could detect poison coursing through my body and get rid of it creatively that way. But that's what this sort of reminds me of. If James you can Bond just sort can of do that too. Become so good at life that you notice when you've been dosed with something and you're just like, no, 
Nope. <laughs> not going to let it. Controlling my internal organs. Nope. I am preventing my blood from flowing. I'm preventing <laughs> this poison from coursing through my veins, which is a phrase you have to use whenever you're talking about poison. <laughs> now, the Coursing. doctor was not so calm, but I digress. Yeah, we digressed. Uh, bringing this back to this. <laughs> What's with the chimp and the bug? Giving in to darkness can only lead to heartbreak. So, wise words from Bet. Wait, not Bell. That was Rumple. Hmm. If he can regurgitate the things that Bell tells him so well and in such an impassioned way, why doesn't he try to live by them? Hmm. And there are all kinds of reasons why we might suppose that Rumple doesn't or can't or won't. But I think the underlying feeling for me here is that yes. These were some good scenes and some good lines, but we would usually hear them from Bell to Rumple, which means that despite Robert Carlyle selling it as he sells everything, mm-hmm. it is out of character. Or is it? I think so. Because he's manipulative, <laughs> right? And he so is, but he's trying to get a moral position out of his son that may be one that he doesn't uh, hold natively himself. But that, but that position is his whole motivation for doing anything, at least so far as we can tell. He seems to legitimately be trying to save Gideon from this, exactly. and those are his reasons. Right. So whose words would he be better off using, his or Bell's? Well, I mean, he's certainly heard this from Bell a lot. It's not like this came out of nowhere. Yeah. I just, I don't know if he really, truly, if we've ever had any indication that he fully sees it this way. And I, oh, I half I, wonder if that's why they brought in the Balefire stuff, because mm-hmm. they rightly understood in talking about the story, perhaps, mm-hmm. that there's no real from motivation his there. experience, we've already seen that he doesn't fully buy this. So why would he be so desperate to save Gideon and to get Gideon to see these things? Oh, well, maybe because he saw Balefire darken his well, he, heart. <laughs> and he promised Belle. And he still wants her back. Gosh darn it. I don't know. That's a really that's a really interesting conundrum though. It's a little chicken and egg. Well, yeah. It's very difficult to have a character who's already waffled so many times go mm-hmm. from pretty solidly, no, the power's mine. It's more important than anything, and I am going to have everything to oh, only only heartbreak can come from giving into the darkness. Well, he didn't think that, you know, two weeks ago. Well, a couple things to remember here. In the end of season four, mm-hmm. they removed all the darkness from his heart. But then... Rejected. In season five, <laughs> he then became the dark one of all dark ones. So much so that the dagger is now black because of all of the dark one power he has. That's it. So does that mean his na- his heart is now solid black again? Probably. Mm. Which one would think might put him close to death and or an Ill- an inability to love per previous mechanics, but no. So it's like <laughs> it's like reformatting your computer when it has a virus and then you restore from a backup and the virus is on the backup. You just reintroduce the whole <laughs> new problem again. Or the same problem, reintroduced it to the same system. I think that's what it is with Rumple, and but at the same time, uh, well, I don't know. 
I really don't know whether he's a hero or trying to be a hero or a villain. He's acting like a villain now, but... Uh, well, I I think <laughs> he's acting the opposite. And, and I would be okay with where he is if it was just a step along his story. Okay. But there's there have been too many extremes in his history, and it just boggles the mind to look at all the places that he's been, mm. to have the darkness completely removed, to be the worst dark one, to have spoken to Bell the ways that he has, to have made it absolutely crystal clear what his priorities are. Mm-hmm. And that he has no interest in changing and doesn't even see it as a bad thing, maybe. I can see losing a second son as potentially a catalyst for rethinking his life yet again. <laughs> so, but, it, but it's difficult because, you know, he's been so horrible, we've been kind of done with him. And now he's kind of back to the more complicated character that he was before the extremes. Hmm. Without any clear reason. Yeah, it would be interesting to find out what Robert Carlyle's notes look like. It's <laughs> just the, a the drawing trajectory. of a pendulum. <laughs> <laughs> and this week we're here. And next week. And this little munchkin went to the wizard. And this little munchkin <laughs> stayed home. <laughs> oh, Zelina's great. I agree with Jacqueline. Can we keep her? Actually, Jacqueline said that, I think, about someone else. But um, (laughs) But to quote Jacqueline. (laughs) Jenny, my wife, said that she really likes Zelina's character because uh, Rebecca Mader just nails the acting with Zelina really well. And Rebecca Mader, as a person on social media, has... Uh, really just embraced this wicked witch of the West. (laughs) And so you follow her on Instagram, Snapchat, anywhere. She's posting all of this stuff like Wicked Wednesday and like she'll do funny things, make herself green like a witch with some of the Snapchat and Instagram filters and all of that stuff. Like a witch, like that witch. She she is totally that part and continues to carry and embrace that part uh, through the rest of social media. So she, she... just the way that Rebecca Mater is, is really cool for her character. So that said, though, here inside of her little home, uh, with Robin there, do you detect anything between Robin and Zelina? Which Robin, that is, and Zelina? Now? Yeah. For a moment. Mm-hmm. I thought they were going to go that direction because mm-hmm. he kind of hit on her, but otherwise, no. The The crazy thing to remember is... That who is the father of Zelina's baby? It's mm-hmm. Robin. Yeah. But I know. he's not the father because Zelina loved Robin. Right. He's the father because Zelina manipulated Robin right. when she was disguised as Miriam. Marion. Marion. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, there again, if they were going to be smart about this of all the things that they downplay and shy away from how about that one stop bringing it up that was one of the most disturbing things in the entire show's history and it was huge controversy at the time and even when regina had to tell wish robin about it Mm -hmm. and she didn't even fully explain it like oh well no i'm not the mother my sister is how disturbing just no just no (laughs) <laughs> well, and I think it was Meredith of Everett Washington that 
had mentioned something about what's Zelina going to do if Robin comes to her. Zelina could say, oh, my sister lied to you and uh, she did all of these mean things. And, and thank you so much for coming to rescue me. Zelina could totally manipulate him with lies, convincing him that her version is the truth. I don't know that she will. I don't know necessarily that she's in that kind of place to do something mischievous. I think really her main focus is taking care of her baby and all of these other things kind of reel her back in to stuff, but she doesn't want to be a villain. She doesn't want to be a hero. Well, okay. Sorry, moms. I take that back. Zelina does want to be a hero to her baby. That's mm-hmm. all she seems to want. Yeah. Thankfully, she seems to have moved beyond the having someone to love me and only me. Yeah. We'll yeah. see when the baby gets older how she is with that. That's not going to happen. Just don't let her get distracted when she's doing nursery rhymes. That's just scary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was fun. And, well, well, it was fun, but it was scary. I'm the one who's reading Sun Tzu's The Art of War to Noodle Baby many times. And yes, I'm actually serious. It's the first storybook I started reading. Well, not storybook, but first book I started reading to my son. <laughs> huh. I think that's just fine. All he's going to hear is rhythm in your voice, and he's going to love that. Both of them. Yeah, and he'll learn great skills along the way. Absolutely. He'll be a great warrior someday. (laughs) I like it. It's better than Good Night Moon. (laughs) (laughs) What do you got against Good Night Moon? So much. Oh, really? So, yeah. Hmm. We'll Hmm. we'll do that on a different episode. (laughs) Let's have a podcast about it. Or do you already? Okay. No. No, okay. but I could do that on my podcast. You could. <laughs> yeah, because and in case you've forgotten or you're new to our podcast, Heather runs a separate podcast called Craft Lit, and it is a fantastic podcast. If you enjoy great literature and want to learn a little bit more about some of the stories and have some great discussions, and if you enjoy Heather's voice, even if that alone you enjoy, <laughs> go check out Craft Lit Podcast. It's available in all of the places fine podcasts are available because it is a fine podcast and entertaining, Aww. very calming, and very insightful, too. And that's very, why we brought old. Heather onto the podcast with us, because of her insight and because she's so much fun. It's Indeed. not just my my wicked my wicked witch laugh <laughs> or my tongue twisters. <laughs> so now Gideon is controlling Rumple because of this little switcheroo and the fake yes. crying thing, and he takes Rumple to the shop, and there's the spell book. Now, I got the text from the spell book. It says. An enchanted blade may ebb and wane in time with scores of differing hands on the hilt. Like an oft-blood-leaded vein, energy escapes. To invigorate the instrument in question, the practitioner should find the smith who originally forged the blade. Some blood of that might will needed to... Yeah, I know there's a typo there, and that's the way it was on the screen. Uh, Might will needed to commence the great work. Make a magic circle with rope and establish the four quarters with a dedication to the old ones. Mix the blood of the smith with some wolf's bane and some juniper berries. Pour this concoction into a cauldron and stir it in a dazzle motion on a clear evening when the moon <laughs> is waxing gibbous. 
When the concoction has cooled, dip the blade into the cauldron while willing the lost magic to return. They didn't do any of that. Not yet, anyway. No, oh, they didn't do oh, any Oh, you're of right. It. Yeah, they did repair the sword, but they didn't do any of it. It does refer to the hokey pokey dance from previous episode because yeah. deer sill is uh, Gallic for right, turning to the right. Oh, that's funny. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. All it needs is you put your right foot out and pull it back in. <laughs> and, and fake hold a beaker in one hand. Except here it's clear that you stir it. Yes. Yeah. Stir it, not shake it. And I, it sounds like a lot to stir shaken. It sounds like there's a lot of liquid if you're putting it in a cauldron. That's yeah. a lot of blood. And none of that happened. No, none. But maybe that's because it was the dark one who did it. And anyone else would have to follow this whole spell, whereas the dark one can just get the basic ingredient and poof. It's like a master chef. You give them flour and they make an amazing cake. And it's like, wow, how'd you do this with only flour? Right? That's the way it seems. You know, They Magic. have the make masterpiece button in their kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I thought... Um... Rumpel's argument for why not to do this was a little lacking in depth, but I think that's actually more in character with where he is as a character. So he was pleading with Gideon saying that if you do this, you might not be able to get back. And in my head, you know, I'm going, well, how about just flat out tell him it's evil and not something a hero (laughs) would do. But that's not necessarily Rumpel's main concern. He's concerned with the effect, not always the means to the end or the cause or their nature. He's okay with, well, he's okay with evil sometimes. He's okay with dark sometimes if it doesn't produce an effect that he doesn't like. Hmm. So in this case, he doesn't want Gideon to go dark or... <laughs> Which, that's a whole nother thing. I kept thinking, doesn't it seem like he's already somewhat darkened, Rumpel? What are you exactly, you're you're fighting without all the information right now. But I get it. So, he's trying to keep Gideon from doing this to himself. Which, again, just the exact act of doing the thing isn't necessarily what makes a heart dark or not. But, but it, it this, kind of, this felt very yeah. rumpled to me. It, and it sounds like to become a hero in this way gives different results than you would expect. And there's something else later on, too, that we'll discuss that's along that same line. I do, I do feel the terminology, the careful wording creeping up on us like it does in some other story arcs. Hmm. Where they're starting to let people slip in certain verbiage where you're like... Wait, no, no, you will not become a hero in any way by doing this. But they're starting to kind of allow a little room in their language for, for you'll become a hero, but maybe not like you want. Like, no, you won't. You will not become a hero. I mean, I suppose if they actually mean, if they're thinking in terms of the full process of, then I will go back and I will defeat the Black Fairy and that is heroic and therefore I will be a hero. But you're like a hero with this sort of dark side and what what does he hope to gain i guess he thinks he'll have emma's power but he's already magic wise more powerful perhaps 
mm-hmm. or at least as powerful as Emma. And so it's weird. Jumping forward a little bit, it, what you're referencing is when the blue fairy said to Gideon, uh, it will not make you the savior in the way you think. Right. So she didn't right. say it won't make you the savior. It's in the way you think. Right. That's the interesting part of it. Mm-hmm. Is the is the Black Fairy's influence on Gideon... Um, well, actually, I had a couple questions for you. One is, is everything that he's saying he wants to do something that's been planted with, by her? And part two is how much of his story to gold of his uh, being trapped and hearing the other the other child cry how much do you think is true i think that was true mm-hmm. okay but good. it wasn't a complete answer he asked what did she do to you that made you think that killing emma will make you the savior mm-hmm. but all he did was tell this one cruel story mm-hmm. of how she proved to him that he was not a hero mm-hmm. that doesn't explain half of it right that doesn't get us all the way to the end of the story it's still it's still completely ambiguous we just have a little clearer picture of what she did to him i would almost wonder if maybe it's some idea the black fairy planted in him that you need to go kill emma if you want to defeat me or something like that you have to kill a hero if you're going to become a hero because the black fairy wants a hero killed so that Mm -hmm. she could come and maybe that's the idea is she thinks mm-hmm. she wants to go to Storybrooke. She wants to escape the Black Realm because we know that she's trapped there. She wants to escape it. And the only way to do that is if a hero dies. You know, a, a fairy is born with every baby's laugh. And maybe a fairy escapes from its prison every time a hero dies. Wow. Oh, I like that. But That's horrifying. That's just like compounding the problem. Then the, you're down a hero and you're up a supervillain. The problem with Bad this timing. is... <laughs> In order for that to happen and therefore for there to be any kind of final battle involving the Black Fairy and Storybrooke, <laughs> if this story that I'm spinning here is true, uh-huh. that means Emma has to actually die, not right. partially die or not yep. be told she's going to die. She ha- would have to actually die. And even if this is the last season of Once Upon a Time, and we really don't know. It seems really up in the air. Uh, This last episode was the lowest uh, rated episode of the entire season, uh, even lower than a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'm on a particular demographic, that is. Um, It was St. Patrick's Day weekend. (laughs) Even if uh, this is the last season, I can't see them actually killing Emma, killing her. Now, we've talked about from the beginning, the concept of savior, savior, at least biblically, is uh, dying in order to save someone else, willingly giving your life. Willingly sacrificing. Yeah, it's the ultimate sacrifice. And I could still see that happening, except Mm -hmm. that they're positioning this relationship with Hook. So I don't think they would really rob Hook of Emma even if this is the end of the series altogether, or if we get a seventh season and they go all airwolf on it and reset it completely and keep only the concept, but replace the cast. Yeah. You have to understand airwolf history to get that. Uh, even if they do that, I still can't see them wanting to actually kill Emma. I just got a vision in my mind 
of a crackpot-ish theory if they do, especially if they get season seven. Yeah. Imagine, probably not at Granny's because it's too small, but imagine somewhere picturesque in Storybrooke, you have Hook and Emma's wedding. And at the wedding, the Black Fairy appears (gasps) and says... Sorry, I'm late. (laughs) And makes them some sort of a promise of nefarious, no goodery, and off goes the season. Mm. That would be interesting. History repeating Mm. itself. So then, like... She's truly creepy enough to carry it. Hook and Emma's baby would be the new savior. I hope they wouldn't go as far as a new curse that actually got enacted. But it could be an interesting parallel. (laughs) I just thought I'd share that moment in my brain with everyone. (laughs) That's the spinoff series, actually. <laughs> so Gideon thinks that he was sneaking reading that, that the Black Fairy didn't know, and that the punishment of of the whole story that he tells is because she found him reading it. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time buying that the Black Fairy didn't know he was reading it the whole time, and that the... The psychology of using that book and the title of that book bugs me too. It seemed particularly sadistic if that was her larger ploy. And that would make her, I think, the most evil character that we would have seen so far. Hmm. Doing, doing that, um, that level of depth of manipulation of another person. It does seem like they keep trying to one-up the evilness factor mm-hmm. to some degree. Except Snow Queen, I think, was not necessarily one-upped. They did no. kind of make us want to think that, I, I think, a little bit. But every other villain has kind of been one-upped by the next villain and then the next one and so on. Well, That's I true. still think that Black Fairy sort of holding Rumple and making a mock face of a mother making a face at her baby moments after even learning that he's her son says mm. and and moments before abandoning him again yeah. says so much true yeah true. yeah that's true <laughs> she got over the shock quickly and then started making fun of him yeah not a Ugh. good mom no not a good anything Except a good villain. Really good villain. (laughs) (laughs) She's got one thing she's good at. (laughs) Yeah. At the town line, Robin and Zelina have that potion that will drain the magic out of any spell. Okay, that's interesting. I am telling you, I am so happy that that did not work on the town line. Because if that, shall I call it, a vial of magic had worked... (laughs) On top of everything else, oh boy, I would be making a larger explosion than the town line did. <laughs> well, they did use specific language. It's a potion that drains the magic out of any spell. Yes, so it's, they did. It, it's not like you can drain the magic out of Rumple because Rumple is not a spell. <laughs> it turned the evil queen from her snake form back yes. into evil queen because it was a spell that made her a cobra in the first place. I thought that was vaguely contrived, but I still like that they totally were sold on the fact that it was going to work, and it did not work. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. where'd this barrier spell come from? Have you figured it out? Yes. Okay. And uh, a, 
I was surprised, actually. Most of us were remembering the wrong thing. We were thinking Snow Queen? No. No, no, because no. She was like an ice wall. Yeah, and... Uh, no, that wasn't her. Anyway, that was a conflict. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was actually Elsa. But uh, this spell was put into place in 602, a bitter draft. That's when the evil queen used blood magic to get into Regina's vault. And this is before Regina knew that the evil queen was still around and in town. But the evil queen was working with Zelina and Zelina was there. And the evil queen was looking for magical items inside of Regina's vault. And she mentioned that she used all of the magic she had in order to get into the town. And we don't really know at that point what does she need all of this magical stuff for until later in the episode when Emma is trying to hightail it out of Storybrooke along with David and Snow to try and protect them and get them out. That's when they're in the police car and they ram into the barrier and they're all surprised. Mm -hmm. What? There's another barrier? Where where Mm -hmm. did this come from? And then that's when Zelina poofs in and and she's like i don't know i don't know i didn't do it that's right yeah so it's from that episode 602 a bitter draft it's and in fact in that episode regina said it's the exact same protection spell as regina used with the original curse that's right we talked about this because we disagreed with that yeah and the only (laughs) place that you could get the magic to do that was in the vault and the only and the vault is sealed with blood magic that was all in episode 602 a bitter draft and by the way 602 a bitter draft is also the episode from which we get this infamous thing i'll just sit back and watch you <laughs> tear yourselves apart <laughs> <laughs> oh my i promised someone i day. wouldn't sing it tonight and i <laughs> kept that promise <laughs> that <is funny>. uh, <laughs> uh, yes how could i forget because we felt that that was not an accurate description of the barrier spell from season one since mm-hmm. that seemed to be more bad things will happen if you try to leave yeah So, no need to rehash that again. Yeah. So, this is the evil queen's barrier spell. Yes. And Regina wants to try and break it. She's tried to break it before, couldn't. Because, have you noticed, this just, for some reason in this scene again, she's so selfless that it just drove home again that this is what a redemption arc looks like. Regina is a different person. Mm Mm-hmm. And and it has not been an easy arc for her either. They've beaten her up quite a bit about it. And there's no door left open to, well, maybe we're going to make her go evil again. Yeah. They've given her the opportunity and she's different now and she doesn't do that. (laughs) She did not rip Hook's throat out because now she knows that's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Lesson learned. Good girl. <laughs> and she didn't rip Emma's throat out either after convincing her to bring Wish Robin back and then having that go this way. That's Nonetheless, <laughs> because she loves Robin and mm-hmm. because she somethings Wish Robin, she's willing to figure out what she can do to break this barrier spell so that Robin can leave. But as we know later on, it seems like Evil Queen thinks Robin would be content to stay here. 
Mm. Yeah. It's more fun to play with that way. Don't you think Jasmine and Aladdin are probably dead? (laughs) 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 Well, that escalated quickly. The train of thought being roughly, good grief, the repercussions of making a wish. And then also my advice to everyone is if you ever find a genie lamp, just bury it. Don't make a wish. But, you know, speaking of what might be buried, Agrabah and Jasmine and Aladdin, because they wish themselves to Agrabah. Okay. okay. I'm just, I'm follow, just saying. Yeah. I just, follow that line of thinking. Sure. As, as badly as these wishes have gone, and now Regina's dealing with all this emotional baggage and having arrows aimed at her and stuff and stuff stolen from her. Yeah. Just, I, I don't think things look good for Jasmine and Aladdin. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> okay. <laughs> At the lake, <laughs> Gideon finds the blue fairy, and it's it's interesting that Gideon says, and then Rumple later takes all of the blue fairy's magic, mm-hmm. not just her blood, all of her magic, and he just rips <sighs> it from her. Well, Rumple does. Yeah. I know, but, you know, if the script next week needs her to have just a little bit more, she will. Because they speak in superlatives that don't always work. Well, this is the original power. Back from episode Speaking 109 or 108, <laughs> Desperate Souls. Yeah, the, Rule Gorm, the blue fairy, is called the original power. Uh, Moraine actually called her that. And now they have... All of the original powers, power drained from her in order to remake this sword. Which for such an unpowerful sword, seems like an awful lot of power to remake it. Well, it's not the first time we've seen a lot of power be required to remake a sword. Yeah, or, or the first time we've seen Rumpel do something that had a similar effect on a fairy. Yeah. <laughs> Remember the hat? Yep. Very true. He he did apologize, though. He did. <laughs> well, that makes it all better. Mm-hmm. And I kind of get the impression that he's doing this not because he wants Gideon to succeed in killing Emma. He no. wants to do this so that Gideon doesn't need to kill Emma. He's yeah. trying to yeah. do all the dark things for his son, which kind of makes yeah. me wonder, does that even mean he... Rumple will kill Emma or try to kill Emma later. Uh, I don't know about that. Or does it mean he'll wind up being the hero? He's trying not to let anyone mm. get hurt. He said that mm. to Belle. But mm-hmm. he, this was the way he could stop Gideon from doing specific things without trying to stop him because he was ordered not to try to stop him with yeah. the dagger. So what do you do? You knock down a pillar and make that bump someone out of the circle of ashes. And that's how you get around those rules. Clock them. Clock him with a pillar. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> I couldn't <lost>. stop. <laughs> Jeremy gets never it forget. I got it. <laughs> In my mind, there's a there's a seal on Lost Forever. You just leave that thing intact for other people to watch, my friend. The bunker. <laughs> seal the bunker. There was something about the way they had Blue Fall that. Made me think of the if a tree falls in the forest. <laughs> but this this was if a if a demagicked fairy falls in a forest, is she still a fairy? 
<laughs> Quite a common fairy. <laughs> I guess. Uh, is, well, is there? <laughs> nice. It's nice reference sad. back to season three episode. Rumple takes the blue fairy back to his shop. And it seems like that's a caring thing to do. So yeah. that whole thing about threatening blue fairy earlier, it then seems like this is a semi-merciful gesture. And it, it, he's saying the plan is to stop Gideon, return the magic to the Blue Fairy. So, for one thing, that tells me she's not dead. She's not dead. Yeah. yeah. She needs to stop going into the forest. <laughs> she really just keeps ending up sick and in bed. <laughs> and she's overpowered by magical beings quite commonly for being so supposedly powerful herself. Hmm. I think that rumors of her power may have been greatly exaggerated well the original is not necessarily the best <laughs> you know, the, re- the original automobile is not the best automobile the original airplane is not the best airplane true but not all others came from those things i thought the idea was almost that all magic kind of came from her but she's never really been in that position in the story yeah and we we never actually know where the goblet came from. That could have been folklore. Mm. She could be like, the things people say, I'm just a fairy. A really good one, but I'm just a fairy. (laughs) Maybe it was the first baby laugh created her, and that's why she's called the original power. The power of baby laughter. Maybe Sneaky Fairy is right, and she's actually a murdering liar. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't really think that. I get the impression that Rumpel <laughs> wants to stop Gideon before he defeats Emma. One would hope that somewhere yeah. inside him he would like to not see Emma die. Yeah. Yeah. I don't suspect that he cares nearly as much about that as Gideon, but... Right. <laughs> yeah, and Meredith of Everett said, I do think that Rumpel wants Gideon to avoid murdering Emma... But that doesn't really mean he's trying to protect her. He probably thinks that he himself is too far gone. So who's to say that he wouldn't simply kill Emma himself and go back with Gideon to get rid of the Black Fairy? By the way, Rumpel may have killed Papa Dearest, that is Peter Pan if you forgot, uh, for the right reasons, but it no doubt darkened Rumpel's heart considerably. It isn't a coincidence that Rumpel's been on the wrong path ever since season four. Killing one's parents leaves a hole, as Regina knows. If Rumpel kills his mother too, he'll never come back from it. Then again, Regina managed to kill both her parents. In fact, she killed Cora twice via Hitman <laughs> Hook and Snow's waxy candle poisoned heart. Cora. Yeah, but that was an accident. Regina really needs to resume therapy. Thank you, Meredith. <laughs> That's awesome. No, show awesome. mechanics-wise, they could argue that killing... His father darkened his heart. In actuality, in the way anything in the whole entire world works, since hearts don't literally turn black and since right and wrong aren't quite so black and white, despite my irritation with everything in the show going gray, they tend to make the mechanics very black and white where they shouldn't be, such as killing, which sounds really terrible. So let me explain. Well, I've explained many times. His father was bent on harming everyone, innocent people. His father was evil and magical and all kinds of things not present in the real world. It made sense. It was heroic for him to kill 
his father the way that he did. <laughs> it's well, it's the same argument that was used with Hiroshima and Nagasaki, right? It's preventing the deaths, taking on the responsibility of preventing the deaths, potentially, of millions of other people by causing the deaths of millions of people. But it's that argument if you could only, only target those who would target the innocents. Mm-hmm. So it's like in this case, he literally killed only one man, the evil yeah. one who was literally solely responsible for everything that was happening. Right. He didn't have to take out anybody else. to do it. Yeah, there was no collateral damage on this one. No, I'm just saying that I think that that way of thinking through the process is we've we've seen it in the real world. Right. And and it's, um, there's actually a play written by, oh, written by Wally Shawn, who Daniel played the sound clip for um, from Princess Bride. He was the guy the guy who who gets Um, Uh Iocaned. Inconceivable. Um, He wrote a play called Aunt Dan and Lemon, which is fantastic because Aunt Dan is this great character who you just love. You love. She's so funny and she's so good to her niece, Lemon, who's this little sickly girl. Mm -hmm. And over the course of the hour and a half of the show, she goes from being really, really likable to, huh, that's kind of a funny thing to be saying to a child to, wow, that is really morally ambiguous to, oh my God, you're evil. Oh, wow. (laughs) And it's all in the course of an hour and a half. It's really... It's he's a really amazing writer. Interesting. Yeah. And I th- I mean this is one of the reasons why I love this show is because every so often they really touch on something that that has weight if you don't just stop with oh it's a fun show. I have really great conversations with my boys because of the show. Mm-hmm. About all sorts of stuff like like what do you do if there's somebody who's really really evil and killing people? Does it does it make it okay to kill them? And listener, will you sleep on that tonight and let that keep you awake? (laughs) Come up with your own Zen koan for that one. Yeah, you don't have to send us your feedback on that. (laughs) You can send it to me. I'll deal with it. But uh, yes, thankfully, they didn't, uh, unlike some other instances, they never quite came down hard on one side or the other with Mm -hmm. that moment with Rumpel. At least it was funny because in the chat we, they were, we were talking about has Rumpel ever preferred Bay specifically, but his family over his power at any time. And so we were going back and forth and I realized, well, he did die a hero. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which should be kind of where it stops, but it, it's gone on quite a long way since he, he died a hero. <laughs> he's, he's been many things since then. I remember those days are theorizing that uh, was he still alive? Right. But he died, and that was a neat death. That season, just everything about that first half of the season, I think, was the best of Once Upon a Time, other than the first season together. And I'm talking about the first half of season three with the Peter Pan season. That was my favorite. Oh, really? Uh, I think that's a favorite of many people, although I've seen some people say that what they did with Peter Pan was stupid. Okay. Uh, Nonetheless, moving on. I enjoyed it. To, okay, girls... If you know your guy's going to propose to you, mm-hmm. let him surprise you. Let him think he's surprising you. Let him do the nice romantic thing he wants to do, whatever that is. If it's painting the walls to look like you're on a, a beach somewhere, if it's taking you to the opera, if it's taking you 
to, to somewhere romantic or special or whatever, let them do it, please. Yes. For the sake of all men out there, let yes. them let them have their moment. Like that one moment. This is their moment that it's that this is like the absolute most romantic thing that they can plan <laughs> without your asking for it. Yep. So let them have that moment, please. Wow. <laughs> and, and as the female in the trio here, I, I will say that my poor husband, uh, before he was my husband, everything else is about the female. He, you know, he accompanied me to the wedding and we had one <laughs> and we emerged as a unit, which was great. That's what we wanted. But, and he you got know, cake it's all, too. And he did. He did. And he, he actually, he got himself a really nice tuxedo too. So, oh. you know, we can't can't argue that but it really is everything is aimed at the at the girl and this is the the moment this is going to be the story right this is going to be the story you tell your kids and gosh i it really really upset me when she i mean aside from the captain morgan line which i laughed out loud at <laughs> yes twice i laughed out loud at that <laughs> <laughs> it was great there were a couple of good ones in this but that it did it broke my heart daniel i felt uh, i felt bad for her at first, I was kind of upset that he gave in and hid what he was trying to tell her and proposed. But then I realized she did kind of force his hook. <laughs> <laughs> she not only found the ring, she brought it downstairs with her and met him at the door. She basically said, propose to me now, propose to me now. Well, and also she said, and I've been going through your drawers. Right. Yeah. What something. was that? I might have seen something in your sea chest that I totally wasn't just rifling through, um, <laughs> yeah. looking for secrets or to see if maybe, you know, you were going to propose or something like that. <laughs> no, she, she brings it down. She says, yes, ask, ask me what you're going to ask me. Here's the ring. Ask it. Ask it. And so he made it as, as touching and romantic as he could. Under yeah. the circumstances, yeah. he he kind of, in a sense, put her first <laughs> and said, "All right, let's let's have the moment. Hopefully, he will just deal with it later." It's just you and me, no walls, no secrets. So except for that, much beauty in this scene, even though it wasn't maybe the romantic proposal that Hook had planned. Still, it was very beautiful, if not for the underlying ill-boding dark secret. See, that's the thing. It was. And I kind of wish that they'd gotten there like they dealt with the secret, gone ahead and just done it and then and then had the proposal and had that even that line and had us just like love it more because it was true mm -hmm. and it was true for both of them. And OK, so I'm, I want to tell you something. Uh, I can relate to this very heavily. If you want to hear more of what I'm about to tell you, like more gritty details of the story, I'll be sharing more in an episode of the Audacity to Podcast coming up soon, probably episode 301, when I will be celebrating 10 years of podcasting. So what I plan to do is tell my full story and journey of podcasting and how podcasting helped me through different things, including something I still kind of look back at as the year of hell. Uh, and I will tell that full story with a lot more details in that if you're interested in that. But I want to give you the basic gist of this. Um, Jenny is not the first person I asked to marry me. Uh, I have been engaged before and the engagement obviously didn't go through. Uh, <laughs> and that's because I had a secret. It was a secret that undermined a very core principle of any relationship, let alone a marriage. 
it was a secret that betrayed her trust. And there I was proposing to her. She said yes. And I had this secret. Now, it didn't torment me at the moment of the proposal like it tormented Hook here. But it was still something kind of in my mind that there's this thing that... So a few days later, uh, because of some other things that had happened uh, around that same time in my life, I realized I need to bring this secret out. I mean, it's basically like someone was not, well, I'm a Christian and I felt heavy conviction by God to really be honest, confess this thing that I knew would be painful. Uh, I knew there would probably be some consequences to it. But I also knew it was more important to confess it, to get it out there, to risk some pain because a marriage should not start on a lie, basically, uh, and a, an extreme betrayal of trust. And I'm the, I'm the guilty one. I was the one who betrayed trust. So I was the one who did wrong. Uh, so I did confess it a few days later to her. It devastated her. The result was the engagement was called off almost immediately. The consequence of that destroyed so much of my life. And that's why I look at that particular year as being the year of hell. Everything that my life was built around was ripped from me. Hopes and dreams, goals, uh, entertainment, friendships, everything. I saw my friends divide themselves on my side or her side because of this girl also worked at the same place I worked at. I saw management go bonkers trying to figure out how to handle this situation uh, without because it's not their place really to handle it in an, an employership setting, but recognizing that this creates conflict among employees, how to handle that. And uh, it was horrible torture after that. I was about a year uh, in horrible discouragement. Jeremy was around during much of this, so he could he's kind of nodding his head, remembering uh, all of this. And so if you're looking at Hook thinking, oh, Hook, just, you know, confess it. I can recognize where Hook is. Now, if I could go back and if I had the option of never telling the truth, I don't think I'd take it because still the, the marriage... I, I'm not so sure the marriage could have last because the truth would have eventually had to have come out in some way. And so I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't confessed. Uh, It's a huge regret in my life. Uh, The thing I am grateful for in all of that is that through that year of hell, something that I learned is that clearly that girl and I were not a good fit for each other because there wasn't the grace and the forgiveness I extended to me, yes, I was guilty. I did a horrible thing. And on her side and her family side and other relationships connected, there was no forgiveness. There was no grace. Even to this day, I don't know if I've ever been forgiven by everyone involved in it. So huge, huge risk, huge burden, bringing that sad story back to once upon a time. I can relate then with Hook in this huge burden. But at the same time, here's the woman that he loves with all of his heart. And that's why he wants to marry her. But at the same time, that's why he also wants to tell the truth. It's that horrible, horrible conflict that at some point 
he's going to have to, and I think he will step out and be honest. But in his case, unlike in my case, I believe there will be grace and forgiveness. And it will be tough, certainly. Uh, Whenever you have to confess something, uh, there will be consequences. There will be pain. Please, please, please don't let that keep you from doing what you need to do if you're in a situation, anything resembling uh, anything like that. Because the longer you wait, the more painful it will get. And I think we're going to see that with Hook, that the longer he waits, uh, the more painful it's going to get, the more awkward, and the more Emma will realize there's something going on. What is it? Uh, But I'm looking forward to seeing Emma and David extend that grace and forgiveness to Hook. And Mm -hmm. you know what? It'll probably make me cry because I can relate so (laughs) much to it. So that's my story. I think it's a great opportunity to take what you said about the relationship that didn't work out. I had a boyfriend who's just, he was wonderful, but something was off. And it was finally a friend of mine who said, it's because you don't trust that if something goes south, you guys will circle the wagons and protect each other. Mm, yes. Mm. And, and I think that that's one of those things that doesn't get discussed very much because it's it shouldn't be a us against the world feeling as much as us together facing whatever it is that you have to face, whether it's having children and figuring out how to raise them well or dealing with things in your past and, and figuring out how to make it through. That going into a marriage without that kind of trust, which has nothing to do with romance at all, mm-hmm. but it has everything to do with love. I agree. I don't think I don't think it would have lasted. And thank goodness, because there was a Jenny. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now there's a noodle baby. A noodle baby. <laughs> <laughs> and compare Hook and Emma's relationship then mm-hmm. to Rumple and Belle. Mm-hmm. Rumple was deliberately keeping the secret. It's not just yes. I really want to tell this to her and I really want to be open and honest because that's what we right. need to do. Yeah. In no. Rumple's case, deliberately keeping it from her. And look at where that's ended up for them. Yeah. Uh, Hook and Emma are different. I think there is that much deeper trust between them. Right. And you can see the struggle with Hook. Right. Yeah. He'll get there eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Rumpel just was manipulating. Yep. And Hook's trying very hard not to manipulate. Well, and I don't think Emma would have a problem with what Hook has to tell her. But I think... They're both going to have a problem figuring out how to deal with David. <laughs> yeah, because David is probably going to be the one to walk mm-hmm. Emma down the aisle and hand her <laughs> to Hook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, by the way, with that whole story, um, the the really neat thing in that, uh, that I want to give you a fun side to that, um, podcasting and podcasts actually helped me through in many ways. Yay! So uh, that's why I'm going to tell not only that story, but like much more of my professional story and professional background and a lot more progression in my business in an upcoming episode of the Audacity to Podcast, probably episode 301 because April 2nd is my 10-year anniversary in podcasting. So I want to celebrate that by telling the full story, the story that I've never told in such detail as up until then. Only close friends 
have known that story. But over the last couple of years, I've been sharing little bits here and there a little bit more in other contexts. So if you want to hear that story, you want to cry, you want to laugh, <laughs> you want to uh, reminisce about the old days of trying to listen to podcasts if you were back there in 2004 or 2005, then I think you'll enjoy that. <laughs> Watch for that at my other podcast, The Audacity to Podcast. Dot com And you'll see me certainly share it out on social media from my own personal account, uh, the Daniel J. Lewis. I'll probably share it out on the other social accounts, too, because 10 years, that's worth celebrating. So why not pull in yeah. all the social accounts to celebrate 10 years of podcasting? <laughs> yeah. And in case you're wondering, no, you can't hear that first episode of my first ever podcast. I actually <laughs> re-recorded it and republished it, completely rebranded the podcast a couple months later. But I may play a portion of that very first episode I ever recorded because I think I have it somewhere. Oh, wow. So that'll be fun. And it it's so bad. <laughs> but bringing this back again to Once Upon a Time. <laughs> That's awesome. Regina in her vault. Uh, one of the things I noticed, the cage with the snake uh, was broken out. So... Evil Queen escaped from the cage. It's not that someone let her out or like someone didn't lock the door or something like that. Yeah. I don't know yeah. that the e the evil queen becoming a person ish again is quite fully her getting what she deserves. <laughs> that wish. I don't know. David's Yeah, David's wish. I don't know. Maybe it didn't work. What do you think about what Regina is saying uh, about her connection with the evil queen? Uh, my impression, honestly, is that she stood there and just like in the past, first she referred to evil queen in third person. Mm -hmm. And then she said what I did. She took responsibility again for her actions when she was the evil queen. She is a complete person. If anyone had any doubts... And or or theories about a required reintegration or anything like that. Regina herself right now is a complete person. Yeah. And still mm -hmm. awesome. But on the other side of town, but Wish Robin and Evil Queen are sitting by a tree. <sighs> Not quite K-I-S-S-I. -S -S -S. <laughs> yeah. And Evil Queen's all like, I'm kind of fake. You're kind of fake. Let's be kind of fake together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which <laughs> a couple pieces of interesting feedback here on this. Tracy Miller said, I think that this Robin is the page 23 Robin referring to that kissing Robin uh, with uh, Regina from the book. Oh, really? That like alternate version of the book that's considered the page 23. Uh, and in order for them to be together, she must reunite with the evil queen because that is the person, the whole person that was meant to be his soulmate. Once <laughs> reunited, they can fall in love. I did not know this feedback was coming. Um, eh. So that's, that's basically saying Regina and evil queen need to reunite and then wish Robin can be real Robin once but again. Real Robin, I'm so, so sorry, but he was only half a character anyway. And now we've got like a bad copy of that character. Send hate mail to at Fleon. <laughs> this is no criticism of the actor, but the character has just never been developed. Hmm. It never was fully developed in my opinion. And now we've got some ambiguously created, ambiguously sold thing being played by the same person. Well, at least he's more developed than Will Scarlet. 
True. Well, well Scarlet the, in the Once, Once Upon a Time. Yeah. 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 Who did not even resemble himself. Beatrice thought something very similar. Her feedback starts off saying, I was very excited to be able to, for the first time, give you feedback in time for a new episode after I binge watched <laughs> six seasons of Once Upon a Time Whoa. in less than a month. Wow. That's definitely like a bad trip between realms. <laughs> but then she says, I'm not sure, but my theory is that our Regina will get back her evil part and then something will happen with Robin. Not sure how or why, but that's what I gathered from the hints the show left in those very few scenes we had with Wish Robin and Evil Queen. But I mean, what would what would change at that point? So he falls in love as an evil Robin with Evil Queen, if you can call that love, and then and then somehow there's a reintegration, and Regina's just like, I guess I can wear my hair up sometimes. You want to love me now? <laughs> I'll throw a fireball once in a while. Like what? I don't know. No offense, <laughs> but um, I'm just trying to figure out why, if something like that were to happen, how, what the purpose would be. It's maybe like the reverse of having your heart removed. You look at everyone who's been missing their heart. They've been unable to completely feel both in Once Upon a Time and in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Yes. We could list all kinds of people regina herself when she pulled out her heart she couldn't feel sorrow uh will scarlet had his heart removed for that reason and other people couldn't feel love or express love or feel anything yes because they were missing a part of them now what if it's kind of the other way around where because regina is not fully herself there's a part of her she's ripped out that's the evil queen yeah because of that, a kiss with Robin doesn't work because she's not completely who Robin fell in love with, as well as uh, something about him. I don't know. I'm pretty sure she had an it's you, not me moment when she kissed him. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that's what it necessarily is. Although that's I, I really don't want them to bring back say. Robin. I'll Real say Robin. that I'm not, I wouldn't be super shocked if they did do some mixture of these theories, but I just hope not yeah. because I feel like this season has been better than that. I mean, I'd love, overall. I'd love for Regina to be able to be with Robin again. It's not that I'm like hating on Regina or saying, oh, yeah. she doesn't deserve this or anything like that. It's just for the story. And with what they did. Yes. And we've talked about this before, so I don't yes. have to repeat like, that. I would be okay, even as, as much as I am against them undoing deaths, I'll even say, I'll even say what you say. We don't know the nature of the Olympian crystal. <laughs> and, <laughs> and yes, they could. I was okay with this being some kind of a weird wishing for the evil queen to get what she deserves. And it went two ways. And I liked that theory. Prob and it seemed like what they were doing, but nope. <laughs> probably the way that they'll be able to work all of this together is with the sword hunting <laughs> will somehow even though it's designed to divide maybe the sword will somehow combine because this is a special sword <laughs> the sort of special sword um cuts cheeks on people and uh doesn't do a whole lot else except give you false confidence apparently this brings our discussion of ill-boating patterns to a conclusion, but you're welcome to continue the discussion both on the website at oncepodcast.com slash 285 and in our forums at oncepodcast.com. 
You can send us your feedback about upcoming episodes, and we have all of that contact information in the show notes, as well as if you swipe up or tap or swipe left or right, something with your podcast app if you're subscribed on a mobile phone. Our contact information is probably available in there too. So you can simply tap it and send us an email, call and leave a voicemail, send us a voice message through the website or anything like that. But until our next episode of One's Podcast, please connect with us on Twitter at One's Podcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at the Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. And I'm Heather Ordover on Twitter as Mama O. This podcast would not be possible without our great team of volunteers helping us episode after episode. So special thanks to Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing spoilers, Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums, Keb for masterminding our timeline, and Jeremy, Aaron, Heather, Hunter, and Jacqueline for co-hosting this podcast with me, especially really long but good episodes (laughs) like this one. We hope you'll join us again for our upcoming initial reactions and live chat. And until next time, you of all people should recognize a doppelganger when you see one. There is two of us. (laughs) And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to be a valiant hero too, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for One's Podcast, episode 614, page 23. Believing there isn't room in Storybrooke for both her and Regina, the evil queen sets out to eliminate her other half using Robin to bait the trap. Hook, determined to make things work with Emma, turns to his old friend Captain Nemo for advice, but Gideon torpedoes his plan before he's able to see things right. In a flashback to the Enchanted Forest, the Evil Queen learns a surprising lesson about the true source of her misery. Written by David H. Goodman and Bridget Hales and is directed by Kate Woods. This synopsis confuses me. Yeah. First off, I'm not sure why Hook would turn to Captain Nemo for advice when Archie already gave him the best possible advice, which is tell the truth. Yeah. (laughs) Um... How on earth does Gideon torpedo his plan, and why does he even care about any of this that's going on? I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with messing up Hook. Sure. Or no, because, well, no, because he wants to, Hook wants to make things right with Emma, and Gideon's like, no, don't make things right with Emma. I'm going to kill her anyway. Well, right, but what does he care then if he's going to kill her anyway? (laughs) But, and then finally, what true source of the evil queen's misery we know why she's miserable we've known since like (laughs) episode 19 of season one (laughs) these synopsis are getting so weird because like it said last week that hook goes to emma to tell her the truth and then nothing nope You know, like, don't say he's got, gets the courage to tell her the truth or something. He's, it says, no, Hook tells Emma the truth and didn't happen. Yeah. We do have some guest stars.
Which confused me, by the way. Okay. Well, we have Rose McIver as Tinkerbell. Yes. Sean McGuire, of course, as Robin of Loxley. Tony Perez as the valet, who, of course, is just Henry Sr. It's Regina's father. I don't know why they don't just call him Henry Sr. Well, because I checked on IMDb, because I'm like, I don't know names very well. Uh, yes, I know it's his name, but I was typing this at, like, very late at night. And I'm like, going through the photos, I'm like, oh, that's... That's Henry Sr. And I'm like, wait a minute. He's not listed as a guest star. So then I had to go back. I'm like, wait a minute. And then I'm doing all the research. But on IMDb, he's credited as Prince Henry, which is not a king. Right. He never was. Oh, he's He's the son of a king, King Xavier. But he was never actually king because Cora never became queen until she got kicked over to Wonderland. Okay. Like I said, I was so confused in the middle of the night typing this up. <laughs> then, of course, we also have Giles Matthew as Gideon. Farron Tarir is back as Captain Nemo. We haven't seen him since uh, the first half of this season. Edward Foy is here as the lead knight. And Hesham Hammond as crewman. Yeah. And we got a promo. Yes. And, of course, it's the most dramatic promo ever. I know. <laughs> so uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> These promos every single week, it's just <laughs> dun dun dun, misery. And they're death, getting blood. shorter and shorter and shorter, and then they get more and more dramatic. I'm really looking forward to the promo that's going to air at the end of this episode because <laughs> they haven't actually mentioned in the promos that Aladdin and Jasmine are coming back, and they're coming back next week after this one. And remember the first half of the season, they couldn't stop talking about Aladdin and Jasmine right. in every single promo. <laughs> and it was the exact same scene in every right. single promo. Three weeks from now, Jasmine and Aladdin arrive in Storybrooke. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> but so far, they haven't mentioned them at all. Yes. Okay, so Evil <laughs> right. Queen is back. This one. Yeah, no. Evil Queen is back. And she wants snow. Well, duh. Obviously. And Regina, all she cares about is knowing that she cares about getting hurt. Yes. So we do see Regina versus the Evil Queen in the mayor office. And the Evil Queen does believe that she can destroy Regina. Yes. It's not going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. Everyone looks so sad. Yeah. Like they just flash to like people's faces, like everyone's face and they're sad. And Hook looks like he has a lot on his mind, but. Duh. Right. He just, yeah. And we do see that Regina and the Evil Queen are going to have a sword fight, and I think it turns into a magic fight, and Regina goes flying into the wall. And then end promo. Right. And I drew this promo out because I had to watch that promo like five times to get this much out of it. (laughs) Yeah. It's really quick flashes of scenes. Yeah, and they're saying that it, you know... This is going to be the final battle between Evil Queen and Regina, which, okay, fine. But just reintegrate them. I mean, that's how this has to end. Although, for about a month now, I've been theorizing that the Evil Queen's going to go live with Robin Hood in the Wish Realm based on the title and just based on some other things. And I don't know. They can't actually kill either of these characters. Right. So, I don't know. We'll see how it ends. We did get some photos. Of course. And how much did this tell you? This told me nothing because (laughs) once again, um, it's just one scene 
and it's a flashback scene, and all it is is the evil queen's carriage and her horses. They arrive in what I guess is some sort of small village, and then mm-hmm. a lot of shots of Regina getting out of the carriage, walking yeah. up to the villagers, threatening the villagers, and then there's one of her father. Yeah. Yeah. There is also a shot of the woods <laughs> because we didn't get then, enough I'm, wood shots I know. last week. Exactly. We didn't get enough wood shots last week. And then there's one of just the carriage and the horses. Yep. <laughs> I'm so, like, what is going on with these photos? It's like one second of one tiny scene and it's really just somebody getting out of a carriage and walking a lot. You know what that means is that they didn't take many photos and this was the only day that they had a camera on set. <laughs> just just this day. Just this day. So, but we did get an interview. It looks like Emma talked, I believe, with EW Weekly. Yeah. And it is quoted saying, through Emma, though Emma is currently not the wiser to these family woes, Morrison does believe her character is ready to take the next step with Huck. If she wasn't ready when she found the ring, she would have pretended like she didn't find the ring, Morrison says. But she found the ring and she's excited to have found the ring. And she thinks she's doing something kind by helping him have that moment, as opposed to him trying to find that moment. Both of them are coming at it with good intentions. It just ends up being a muddy situation because he was about to tell her and then it seems like a terrible moment to tell her. Yeah, he still could have told her. He still could have. Just going to throw that out there. And it's something that Colin in the same interview mentions how what should have happened is Hook should have said, okay, but we need to talk first. There's something you need to know, which is exactly what he should have done and didn't. (laughs) Okay. Personally, it is, I believe it's going to come out during a rock song in the middle of the musical episode. All right. And I think it's going to come out in episode 615, the episode that airs after this one. Uh, that has the Captain Swan adventure with Geladin where they go and try and find Agrabah. I think that's when it's going to come out. I'm only taking mine from past experiences with Once More with Feeling. Okay. that's. I was typing this up and I'm like, it's got to come up eventually. And I'm like, it's going to be during the song. I just have a feeling. I don't know why. I, I think that's one, one of, of my favorite right. songs. Yeah. I think it's because it's one of my favorite songs from Once More with Feeling. But where everything comes out. So, Okay. Episode titles. It's the final two of the season. Yes. And let me tell you, they're so exciting. (laughs) Well, I'm really interested to see how Daniel will react when he finally gets these titles in a few weeks. Because he, of course, is completely spoiler free and he he doesn't know them yet. But episode 621 is The Final Battle, part one, written by Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz. And 622 is The Final Battle, part two, written by Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz. Yeah. So maybe an appropriate title for either a season end or a series finale. Yep, because we we still don't don't know. know. (laughs) Although I will have more on that in a moment. But, of course, Daniel's been theorizing for years about the final battle, about is this the final battle? Well, maybe this is the final battle. So, Or maybe it's the final battle in this chapter. That's kind of what I think it is, is we're going to be closing the chapter on Once Upon a Time Part A, and they're going to open up Once Upon a Time Part B, which will have a lot of differences. Yeah. Because they're writing – well, actually, they're filming it now, aren't they? They are. 
So they're filming the finale of the season without knowing if there's going to be another season or not. So I think it's one of those situations where they have to write it as a series finale because they don't know. Maybe. And that brings me to the fact that, like you said, they are filming the finale right now. And they're actually outdoors in Steveson for quite a bit. We know that the two new actors who have joined the cast are there. And so far, they've been working with a lot of the cast members. We still have no idea who they are. But and this is of course not because they're going to keep I hope they keep that one a secret. Well, I know we're all about the spoilers here. There are some things that are just fun to like be surprised with. And I think that will be one of them. No, I just want to know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I just want to (laughs) know. Because we've been saying for quite a while since we got these casting calls, oh, well, it has to be adult Henry. Yeah. And speaking of, there are some photos of an ambulance on set that is there as part of the story, not because anybody actually got hurt. And they're wheeling somebody out on a stretcher. And the people who are there taking photos and watching the filming say that it's Henry on the stretcher. Wow. So the scene somehow plays out that he's running around Storybrooke with his storybook. He runs into Archie and Pongo and asks what happened. And it has something to do also with Emma. And this is where it gets really confusing because at the same time that we see Henry running around Storybrooke, he's also apparently being wheeled out on a stretcher. So I don't know how those two scenes mash together. But there's a theory that Henry is hurt and he is taken to the Black Fairy's realm and he has to live there for a while before he can escape. But when he does escape, he turns into the older version of himself, the the new guy that's on set. And so it's a time travel sort of in that adult Henry comes to our world before young Henry leaves. But then when we pick up in season seven, it'll only be adult Henry. So that's my running theory at the moment. Okay. Some other fun little shots that we saw. Uh, Granny is back in the finale. And she's driving Ruby's car. Okay. The nice red one. And then normally when they have a scene at Gold's Pawn Shop, they change the outside sign so that it says Gold's Pawn Shop. But they have now changed it to Gold and Sun. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. It is interesting. Maybe Gideon and Rumpel made up at some point? I don't know. That That's really interesting. Yeah. Or there was somebody who suggested that it could mean Mrs. Gold and son, and that Belle has taken over the pawn shop and is running it with Gideon. Hmm. Okay. And then one final thing here, a kind of an update on where everybody stands with contracts and with season seven. According to the paparazzi who hang out on set, and I'm going to caution everybody to take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt until we actually hear from ABC. But according to the paparazzis on set, both Lana and Colin have signed their contracts, and so they'll be back. Jennifer Morrison is still very much up in the air, but that Bobby Carlyle will not be returning for another season and that Rumpel is going to be killed off for good. Wow. And then Jenny and Josh and Jared will not be returning as regulars for season seven, but they will be around. Okay, so like they'll just be like guest stars. They'll be like a granny. Yes. Instead of an every episode. Yeah. So that's the latest that I've heard. But again, we really got to wait until ABC says something official. Right. Because 
it could all be false. <laughs> it could be. It could be that everybody has signed and that the show's definitely renewed and all of this was just, you know, the Reverse. way the business works. <laughs> exactly. So I think that's it. It is. Okay, that's it for this week. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. And I'm Jacqueline. You can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, Oncers. Oh.